Welcome to Trust the Journey. I'm Jason Maletsky. Our mission is to live, laugh, love, and learn together with you. We're here to create conscious connections through our practice of openness, honesty, vulnerability, humility, and trust. Trusting the entire journey. If you'd like a cost-free way of supporting the show, you could please subscribe on YouTube, follow on Spotify or Instagram, or leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. You can also share the podcast with somebody directly if you know somebody that you feel would gain value from this episode. If you'd like to join the Trusted Journey family, you can do so by becoming a Patreon supporter. You can go to trustthejourney.today. That is our handle across the whole internet. It'll take you directly to our website. And right on the top of the page, you'll see the Donate Now button for Patreon. The Trust the Journey family is a wonderful group of people where we hold a safe space for everybody to vulnerably share and support each other in a family environment. It's a wonderful group. I'm super stoked about the way that that's progressing. And if you would like to get a hold of me, you can find me at jasonmoletsky.com. If you're looking for my co-host, Melanie Curtis, you can get her at melaniecurtis.com. And today I'm super excited because I'm doing another episode of Walking Each Other Home with my very good friend, Jamie Crawford. I'm here today at Jamie's place and he's been kind enough to allow me to record here in his home. And I've been really excited about doing this episode for a really long time because Jamie sits on my personal board of directors. He's one of the people that I lean to and look to in my life for guidance when I'm trying to make big decisions about things that are affecting me. He's been a spiritual inspiration, uh, somebody that I look up to in so many ways, just his outlook on life, is his way that he leads with his heart and the spiritual journey. And I'm lucky to call Jamie one of my very best friends. He's an absolute amazing human. So welcome to the show, Jamie. Thanks for having me, Jay. I'm really excited to be here. Yeah. yeah. I've been wanting to have you on the show for ages because we have these deep, meaningful conversations. And the number of times that I have been in conversation with you and gone, man, I wish I was recording this right now. <laughs> the number of times that that has happened has just been like completely overwhelming. So I'm like, I am going to make this happen. I'm going to get us together and get a microphone in front of us and just talk a little bit. Yeah, we can uh, touch a lot of areas of the cosmos, I think, with uh, all of the different conversations we've had over the years, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I want to talk about a little bit about, before we just jump into outer space and inner space, um, I want to talk about the social space, because I think it's a really neat thing how we met, how we became friends, because Facebook is this strange place that has like positive and negative views, but really, that's how we ended up being friends. It's like we saw each other being ourselves in our common friends group. And we're like, hey, I think I'm supposed to be friends with you. Yeah. Yeah, I know. That's, that's true. And then, But I think really the first time we hung out was at Burning Man, though, right? Yeah. That was really when we got to know each other. Yeah. And I did, I knew you were like, you know, some kind of famous skydiver or something, but I didn't really know any details. And that was, you know, where the burn. So was, we met in a different way than through our skydiving or base jumping careers, you know? So it was kind of a nice, I don't know, organic way of getting to know each other. I, I felt like, you know, it was like just, hey, what's your name? And I'm Jamie, you're Jay. And let's like, let's go out and all this. And we had a great, that was a great burn we had together. And I I remember Tucci telling me that she's like, yeah, Jay came back. And like, I, I met this guy. I think he's going to be one of my friends for a long time. <laughs> no, yeah, you're right. So yeah. Yeah, it's been a, it's been a what a, seven maybe seven years something like that. Yeah, I think at least yeah. Yeah, just just over. Yeah. yeah. So um, you've been a, such a guide to me in the, on the spiritual path. One of the early things that happened in our friendship is you basically 
kind of taking me by the arm and saying, you need to come to ayahuasca. Like I've been on this mission. This is something that I've been doing. I really think this would be good for you. And it's absolutely changed my life. It's changed who I am as a person. And I'm in such gratitude and such just overwhelm. Like it's almost a sense of debt for this, like taking me by the hand and literally walking me home in this effort to get to know myself better. And, and now I continue to work to pass that forward to other people with that same intention of just love and gratitude and like, let's keep walking each other the same path. Yeah. Well, and you know, and you also listen to, which I, you know, the first time I, that was eight years ago, 2015, 2016, I believe it was the first time I did, I did ayahuasca. That's when I went to Peru uh, with my ex and we spent, you know, 12 days in the jungle at the uh, temple of the way of light, which is, a, you know, I didn't know at the time it was one of the most like hardcore ways you could try ayahuasca the first time because you do seven ceremonies in nine nights or something like that so it was like really intense uh, so i think I, I maybe a year or two after that's when you came and did your first one with me and that's when we did a three-day ceremony that time um but you know it's the calling so once you experience that medicine you want to share with everyone that you love and i've told a lot of people about it but only a few people listen you know you happen to be one of those guys who had the courage and the interest and the curiosity to say oh yeah, yeah I'll, I'll give that a shot you know and when you first go in you're like oh I'm you know I'm pretty good like, like I think I'm pretty good I'm pretty happy I got you know and you feel like you are and then once you dive into you know to the medicine you start realizing how how multi-layered your life is um and so all the things we do to try to heal ourselves and you know I I think based on being I consider based on being a medicine as well just like just like plant medicine um, there's obviously medicine can be abused just like anything else. And also there's times when you don't need medicine anymore. And sometimes, you know, and I've, I've come and go with base jumping in my life. I've come and go with plant medicine in my life. I've come and go with sobriety or, you know, using drugs and partying. I've, I've tried all the different fields of consciousness to see how to better myself. Uh, you and I have always had a good dialogue about that. We have a similar path. We have a similar uh, problems that we've worked on to 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 self-medicate to find out who we were along the way and we've you know we're both getting older now and starting to realize well then maybe you know those those were tools and, and maybe there's maybe there's a, a refi refining process along the way in our lives that gets more uh definite more clear where you don't i don't feel like personally anymore i'm needing those plant medicines as much anymore I'm needing like to microdose or I'm needing to go on, have a big psychedelic journey. Um, and I, you know, we and you've been talking about this a lot lately too. I've been way more into meditation lately and I've been doing a daily practice, meditating an hour a day for the last three, three and a half months. I haven't missed a day. Uh, and myself and Tucci have been doing Dr. Joe Dispenza's work. Um, and, and we're having amazing profound results just as if I had just done a three day ceremony with you just as if I'd gone to the jungle and, or gone and, you know, spent some time alone and had a really powerful psychedelic experience. And I'm having that in my meditations. So, you know, I, I'm, I'm always trying to get, and I think this is something that me and you resonate on a lot is we're always trying to, I'm, I'm not getting older. We're not getting older thinking it's time to just go sit on the couch now. You know, we're getting older every day thinking, oh, I'm running out of time. I need to keep this train going. What's the purpose of being on this planet? I think it's evolution, right? It's to evolve your soul. Your soul comes here with a purpose, with, I think, with a blueprint, with things that you're trying to figure out and you meet the right people along the way that help you figure those things out. What Sometimes uh, enemies, sometimes friends, There's, but they're all there to serve you and to help you better yourself, right? So now, you know, I think uh, something we've picked up on is learning to, it, 
like I love the darkness and all the bad times that I've had now as much as I do the the, the good. You know, I just saw you like crash your car just earlier, bear, you know, break a break a windshield. <laughs> and I and I know the old Jay like five years ago or whatever would it that would have been a you know that's your baby that's your you love that car and then you were able to just be like whoop that, like see such a such a transition in you like that to be like unfazed by it and just move on because yeah because actually it's not a big deal in the big picture it's our attachment to everything that makes everything a big deal so it's really cool to see you just kind of like brush that off and move away and just you know it was no big deal and it wasn't it was because because you decided it wasn't and that's what i'm really learning right now too is you have the power to decide the, the world pushes us with emotions with sensations with all kinds of energy and vibration that's telling you that you should respond this way because this happened but in actuality you don't have to decide you can decide however you want you can literally do that my mother i told this story to you before and i'll tell it again online because it's such a powerful experience for me when i was a teenager our house has gotten broken into my mom was freshly divorced she's trying to raise two kids by herself she my dad was the breadwinner my mom had to go and start over she was like painting houses or something to raise us and literally all of our house got stolen, everything in it. The windows, back windows are broken. Our house had totally gotten looted. And I'm crying. My sister's crying. And I'm like a mess. My mom's kind of like big, kind of holding it together. And then she just like within a few minutes turns and looks at me. And she goes, well, at least we don't have, uh, we've got less stuff to move now when we leave the house. And she just put a smile on her face. And she literally just changed her reaction. She decided she wasn't going to be the victim of that situation. She was going to, and I was like, what? You can do that? You can just decide. You don't have to just be the victim of a, of a, of a situation that sh should be victimizing you. You can decide not to do that. And that was a really powerful moment for me. You know, I was a teenager and I was a young teenager and I was like, wow, you, they're not, and I, you know, it's, I'm 46 now. So it's still taken me a while to apply that understanding. I've known it for a long time, but now I'm getting to the place in my life where I'm able to start applying that. Just like I saw with you yesterday when you broke your windshield and you're just like, okay, cool. I'm not going to let that, I'm not going to victimize myself. I'm not going to beat myself up about that. I'm not going to do any of that. I'm just going to go on to the next thing. And then you're not attached to it and you're able to kind of just go on to, and, and, and not let it affect you that way. So anyway, that that's something that I'm really excited about right now as I'm actually to the stage of my life now where I'm able to start applying these things in, a, in an experiential way. It's not just a concept or a philosophy or us just talking crap around a fire sometime, you know, and, and sounding like we're these, these really highly evolved beings and then go back the next day to bitching about someone in traffic or all the things we do and our, you know, patterns of kind of lower vibrations. And I'm, I'm yeah, I'm, I'm really, it's an exciting time to be alive right now. And then, and I'm really glad that we're here. Um, though, you know, we didn't go in like 10 years ago or whatever, and managed to make it to this older age or something about getting older and wiser and, um, learning from your experiences, you know, and, I think probably the chemistry has something to do with it as well. I'm sure, you know, when you're young, you're just pumping full of testosterone and hormones and everything going on. And that really affects how you see and perceive the world. And as you get older, everything starts to slow down more. But wouldn't you agree that there's an element of identity in youth that is based on our activities and the things that we're filling our life with? And as we get older and some of those things that we've built up as who we are no longer reply anymore or maybe they get removed from our lives and then we find ourselves going yeah i used to be full-time skydiver i know you did tandems for a long time and you know i was a pro swooper and then the next thing you know we're not doing that anymore and we have to rebuild our identities and that that allowing the attachment to go 
sometimes it's uncomfortable and it's like it's forced out of us and we have to re-identify ourselves. And when, we're, when we start to do that, we go, well, well, actually, what do I want? Instead of having just something that happened, like we chose skydiving or base jumping or whatever coping mechanism we were choosing at the time, now we're at a maturity level and a age in our lives where we like, I'm going to pick something that's actually very considerate of all aspects and well-rounded and, you know, ego aware. Right. Yeah. yeah and, and you're not trying so hard anymore when you add, like, you know, when you're younger, you're trying to build a sense of self. Who am I in the world? Where do I belong? You know, trying to find out who you are. I think at this age now, for me, at least I, I, I know who I am. I feel like I still want to grow who I am. I still want to evolve who I am, but I'm not searching in the same way as I was when I was younger. So I'm not trying to pick up activities, you know, so I'm a base jumper or I am this guy or whatever. That's not how I want to identify anymore. You know, I want to identify as a human being that can, and, and what is a, and, a, and a, with a larger purpose, you know, not just as a, a, this is me and this is the pocket that I fit into, but how do I actually feel fulfilled at the end of this life? That's the bigger question that I'm at right now. You know, am I going to look back and say, oh, I, you know, thank God I did all those base jumps, you know, that was, that's uh, really made a lot with that life, you know, like, is that going to be the thing or, you know, or is there something more than that for you? And for me, the answer is something more than that. I've always felt like I wanted to be able to give back to the world in a, in a way that would be of benefit you know, to be able to service my, I, the best feeling. And that's why I did Tannis for so long. It's because I love the feeling of being of service, of making myself invisible in the background. There's a person in front of me that has no clue how to skydive. And th- my best Tannis were when I, they would, I would unclip them after the, we would land and they would run to their friends and they wouldn't even have a clue that I was there. They would, they would just felt like they just jumped out of a plane and they did everything by themselves. And then they, they don't even think about thanking me or anything. And I'm like, that's the best that you, I could do, imagine doing because I, I remove myself from the, from the picture I get to give because I'm, that was something I was skilled at and, and make that pe- that person, that stranger feel empowered and walk away with a completely different paradigm shift in their whole life. So I never, that was always my goal as a tandem instructor. It really taught me a lot about how powerful it was for me too. And I got more out of it that way than, than, than a lot of goals of my, my own personal goals that I've done from, you know, jumping the Iger or, or, you know, some big building or, you know, all these ideas that I have in my own passions. They were, it's great when you get them done, but is there just something better about being of service, you know, that is more fulfilling in that, in the act itself that I, I've really gravitated towards more and more as I've gotten older as well. Um, where I, where that's what I want to do. I want to be of service. I want to, uh, that feeling of helping other people is more satisfying for me than, than achieving some of my own personal dreams. So let me point. ask you a question with regards to your own self-care and self-love habits in your ability to be of service. Do you feel like your life has pivoted since it's kind of a loaded question, I guess, because I know you somewhat, but I've observed your life pivoting around self-awareness in the greater sense where what you were doing with your life was very giving, but it also wasn't very serving of you, right? right? Like yourself was being sacrificed physically, emotionally, you do all right financially, but big picture, it's not really like a big sustainable thing. And, And then when you leave your emotional being, your ego being, all these things aren't really being thought about. It's just about giving to others. And what I've seen in the last seven years or so has been you changing from being somebody who only thinks about somebody else having a positive experience to somebody 
who goes, wait, I need to be centered and really grounded and, and balanced and able to be aware of myself fully consciously before I can really be of service to others. Definitely. Yeah. And I definitely, and you know, definitely through ay- ayahuasca ceremonies, I, I, I started this process, but then I really had a completion process with this um, through Dr. Joe's Dispenza. We went, we went and did a, a week-long uh, meditation retreat with him. And I realized I had this third, I was in meditation. It was like three or four days and you're meditating like eight or 10 hours a day with 2000 people for a week in a row. And so you start building this resonance and every, every meditation gets stronger and stronger. And I had this kind of third person experience, body experience where I was looking, I kind of came out of my body and I was looking at myself, talking to my, having my inner dialogue with myself, how the way that I usually speak to myself inside my mind, you know, like the inner dialogue. And I was witnessing it from like a third person view so i was watching me talk to myself in my mind and i realized like i would never talk to anyone of my friends like that i realized how self um basically judging i was of myself and how how hard i was on myself all the time the way that i I speak to my you know i'm very open and relaxed and forgiving with all my friends but then when i came to myself i was really strict and stern and almost abusive in the way that I was speaking to myself. I had this moment where I just realized, well, I would never talk to anyone like that. And you're talking to me like that. Like, and and it flipped. And I really realized that there was, there was this part of me that wasn't loving myself. You know, there was, it was still hadn't, hadn't forgave myself or accepted myself, whatever. I saw a lot of stuff from my childhood with my dad and like all this brain brainwashing I got when I was a kid about emotions and being sensitive and all this stuff. And, Anyway, I started, you know, obviously it was a very emotional experience and cried, right? Really, all of a sudden, I, I, I was the first time I felt like a 100% switch where I was able to love myself exactly the way that I love my friends and my family. So the big switch. So it's like, because I realized, you know, if you're really going to practice what you're preaching, the only way you can be a good healer is to first have healed yourself. We, you know, we always talk about this and we, it's, it's, it comes and goes in, in conversations, but actually to think about what that means and to apply it to your life. I mean, it's the same, you know, I, I was a habitual user of whatever it was, some kind of substance to be, I always had crutches for my life. You know, when I was a tandem instructor, everyone parties a tandem instructor. Oh, it's always a beer at the end of the day or whatever, you know, something along those lines. And that, that, ha- that became a habit of 10, 15 years of my life. And so even though I was always had good intentions and I was walking in the right direction, I still had these crutches my whole life. That were, and, and I realized at a certain level, at a certain time, if I really want to practice what I preach, I'm really going to talk about spirituality and, and evolution and, and, and uh, having life purpose, then I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to make a transition myself. And so I, lately, uh, Tucci and I, and we've, we've, we've come off all substances and I, I use, I'm literally just using meditation now. And meditation is the, is the, the, I think for me, the most direct route that I've, that I've found so far to tap into, uh, into my soul, into my, into my heart. And I've really been working a lot on that. You know, there's a lot of studies right now with EKGs, with neuroscience, where they're, they're seeing how the heart and the mind interact with each other. It's fascinating. So that I just watched this, it's actually on Gaia, it's called The Power of the Heart. It's a great little movie, and um, and they're in the beginning of the movie. They're they're they have EKGs um, set up on the heart, and then also on the on the brain, 
and they had a computer screen set up where they had um, random images that would pop up. The, the person had to click the mouse and then the, a random image. Some of them were designed to invoke like fear and anxiety and stress, like violent images. And some of them were designed to be peaceful and benevolent, and, like friendly, like bunnies, fluffy bunnies, whatever, stuff like that. And then in between each, sorry, in between each uh, in frame, there would be a pause, a black screen for about five or six seconds. And they were randomized. So they'd notice 100% of the time when someone would click and there was a black screen, the heart would intuitively know what the next image was going to be before it happened. Because And they saw the heart would self-regulate. So when the heart knew that there was going to be a violent image coming, it would it would slow the heart rate down during that five-second black screen. It would slow down to, to regulate it. So when the if violent or intense image come up, it, its heart rate wouldn't spike too much. So the heart would, every single time, 100% with every person they, they tested this on, the heart would self-regulate. Every time there was, it knew there was going to be, so A, the heart is intuit, intuiting what's going to happen before it happens. So that's a whole other discussion by itself. So what, where is the heart working and as far as the time space goes? Is, is the heart a multidimensional um, it, it, organ? Is there some kind of connection in that energy center there? That is outside of time and space the way we know it that's in a whole nother ballgame just thinking about the fact that the heart can intuitive that's what that's what they say trust your gut feeling comes from because and they proved this through through all of the studies of the ekgs that the heart first tells the mind to and then the mind tells the body so the heart mind body and that's when you get the feeling in your gut it's happened so fast right so the heart is actually the first one to tell the body what to do uh, so, so interesting. Also, the heart is one of these things, the only organ outside of the brain. So if once the body shuts down, the heart decides when it stops. It doesn't listen. The brain doesn't tell the heart when to stop. The heart tells itself when to stop. So the, the heart has, uh, uh, and, and, uh, nerve cells like brain nerve cells there, there's ganglia, there's, there's neuron brain neurons. Yeah. So it has an intelligence of wisdom that I think I've always felt and I've always known. And it's so cool to see science is starting to talk about this stuff. But, you know, right before I got into Joe Dispenza's work, I was like, I really want to align my heart and my mind together. So I've always trusted my heart, but I haven't trusted my brain, you know, and I've never, I've, I, there's a lot of reasons around that childhood stuff and whatever, but not, so I've been always working on that. And then we found Dr. Joe's work and he's like, oh, that his main like statement right now is working on, on bringing the heart and mind together because they're together. They, in, in, when they, when they're harmonized, they, they work so much more powerful than any, anything else I've experienced. So I'm, that's, that's lately with my meditations, everything I've been doing is to try to, is try to align my heart and my mind together and try to act from a place like that. You know, it's, I have a, I have, I'm, I'm Scottish, like, you know, lineage from like Braveheart days. And so I have a fiery temper. I always have, um, I've gotten way better in my, as I've gotten older, but you know, I'm quick to react. I have a, I have like a firecracker refuse and I'm, I'm fine until I'm not. And so I've been really working on that as well. Like every time I want to react with my mind, like, cause I, I'm very observant as well too. And so some, like sometimes I get, I lose patience with the, what seems like should be common sense, you know, maybe common sense isn't that common anymore. People say that, but I hope that's not true, but I, I really, I, I, just things I, just trigger me. And so I've been, instead of reacting out of my mind, I've been thinking, take a breath and think through my heart. And when I do that, it's just, everything changes. And I, and I don't, I don't react the same way. I can see that, you know, that person clearly didn't mean to cut me off or be an asshole. 
they were just struggle, struggling. You know, the, most people in their lives are stressed, stressed out and struggling. And we, we're taking it personally all the time. And it really has nothing to do with us at all. You know, and so it's like learning to just take that reaction away, just like you did yesterday. You know, it's like when you take that reaction away and the, there's there's no power over you anymore. And then, you know, all of a sudden you're not and you're not victimizing yourself by judging other people. And so I realized, oh, the reason like, if I if I'm judging all these people all the time, it's because I'm judging myself, too. And I realized that, like I said in the early in that meditation I was in, I realized I was judging myself so much all the time. Like, just be kind to myself. Be patient. There's you're you're, you're you know. And I've always felt that I've always felt like this discrepancy between my genetics, like with the body that I'm in and, and like, and, and my soul, like I always felt like my soul is like way more evolved than my, than my, the, the genes and the knowledge and the ego, Jamie, like he's way, like he's got some work to do, you know, he's got, he's got some catching up to do with, with where my soul wisdom feels, you know, where I've always felt that kind of like trying to bridge that gap was difficult. I'm a big believer in the Trinity concept the me myself and i the body mind and soul father son and holy ghost this like sun uh, sun earth moon kind of there's three elements right and i feel like the brain is the logical thinking right like very cognitive right uses words right like literally words are going on and the heart is feeling emotion love right it's very feeling based and then the soul is just more of a vibration. There's more of just like a, a resonant energy that is like, it's like listening to music versus having a feeling or having a thought, right? You can't really describe music as something that it's, it's like a merging of, of all things, right? Um, and I completely relate to you with the idea that as a young man, I've always known that my soul has of much greater intelligence than my body might have at that current time. Uh, and my mind can be a, totally all over the place. Sometimes my mind could be highly, you know, highly conscious of itself and very clear thinking. And other times just completely a wreck or foggy or, or spiking in one direction or another, very untrustworthy, you know, not, not really something that I can say, something that I really would say, oh yeah, that's something I would always go to for the right decision. You know, maybe depends how tired I am, if I've eaten, Yeah. you know, uh, a lot of other variables, how stressed have I been? How much load have I been under? If it's been a 16 hour or 20 hour day, my mind's not going to respond as well as if I'm, you know, an hour just out of bed and things are fresh and ready to go. So I don't really trust that part of myself, but like you're saying, the heart energy doesn't really relate to that. Right. Right. Like the heart energy is, is this compassion, love, warmth. It's like an old wise person that's there all the time with you all the time and just waiting for you to listen to them. And it's, you know, and you're always like, yeah, fuck you old guy. I know what I'm doing. And then, and you know, that's then you're like running around and then eventually you're like, maybe I should listen. And then you do. And you're like, oh, God damn it. He was right. And you know, now I, instead of just doing that whole chase that I used to do all the time. I'm trying to stop that from happening. But right as I find myself getting into the sprint, I'm like, ask the heart. And I do that. And I just cancel out the rest of that whole commotion. And just be like, okay, because and I like that saying, it says the, the, the mind thinks and the heart knows, you know, I feel, and I've always, if you really think about it, anytime you've had a big decision and anything major going on or, you know, big life changing experiences, you have to think about every time 
that you listen to your heart, it's right. It's it's never lies to you. It never tries to trick you. It never tries to say you should do this because you're you know it doesn't have your ego in mind. It just has your soul. It has your best, it has everyone's best intentions in mind. You know. And then so I've always, and I've always had that as a superpower. Like I'm emotional. I'm a ginger man. You know. I grew up with a little redhead kid get made fun of, and as I cry and I was sensitive and you know like whatever all those things. And then I I realized it was my superpower. You know. It doesn't, I still felt like a man. I actually feel like it's, it takes more. It takes more courage. You know, we've been brainwashed to think that being a man means that you don't have emotions, and that you don't feel anything, and that you can't cry, and all of this garbage. You know, it's that's not real. That's not true, and that's actually it's way. For, it's it's actually unhealthy to be like that. We need to train men to feel safe and comfortable to express their emotions and to do it in a in a in a in a way that's that's safe for everyone else to hear. Not not a violent overtoning way, a, a alpha male kind of dominant. That's old monkey brain, right? That's chimpanzee stuff. Like I told you, I don't know if you, um, I just watched, it's called um, the ch- uh, chimp, chimp Planet or Chimp, it's on Netflix, but um, they, it's a four-part series and they follow these chimpanzees through this African jungle for like 12 years. And it's so mind-opening to watch that, to really see how, because you know the chimps have their territory in the jungle they literally kill other chimps that try to come on their territory they 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 go and actively try to expand their territory to take over good fruit trees and good places um they have a whole alpha male system where all the all the males in the in the tribe are trying to trying to make you know get rid of the alpha male and become the next alpha male and and the, the violence and everything that goes on in in the chimpanzee world you're like wow like you can see what that you know we that's very inbred into our society and the way we, we act but that's old news man we're, we're that's you know we're not there anymore uh, we we don't need to be there anymore that part of us is dying you know we need to get back we need to get out of that whole fight or flight and and then competition with each other we should be collaborating with each other right the only way this planet's going to survive the only way we're going to survive on this planet is if we collaborate and come together and harmonize our energy together instead of instead of listening to to the one percent tell us that you guys should be competing you guys should be fighting with each other you because that's what's the best way to you know dominate a society is to keep them fighting against each other it's divide and conquer this it's one of the oldest principles machiavellian principles that you can you can think of they still use it today so everyone's distracted fighting against each other they don't really see what the real problem is you know it's not us you know, it's, it's so with the, we, we should be teaching each other how to, how to come together instead of compete, how to fight, not to fight, how to love, you know, how to, how to accept each other for our differences. And, and, and the only way I believe that you can do that is by doing it for yourself first. Cause every, all these people I'm pointing my finger at, what do they say? When you point your finger, you got three fingers pointing back at you. Right. So, you know, it's like you, this is, this is the case all the time. I was like all these, I was so been so judgmental of myself because I was taught to do that. If you're different, it's not okay. You know, you, you need to conform. You need to be like everyone else. You need to do this and this and this. And if you don't, then you're you're a reject. And, you know, and at some point I was like, well, fuck it. I'll be a reject. Okay, I'll be the rebel. I'll do that. And that was about how I first got my foot out the door of, you know, normal society. And then I came to realize I was onto something, actually. I, there is something phony about the, this world and what we've been taught. And we're all kind of waking up now and realizing this is not the way, this is not what I expected to be human. This is not what I came here for. I didn't come here to just just to warmonger and fight over materials and look whose ego is shinier than my, someone else's. That's not what it's about. Can I ask you a question? Yeah. So my experience as a child, as I as my consciousness arrived to a point where I could see the world around me with a broader lens, 
and I could really get a, you know, I moved past like my immediate friends group and I could see the planet as a whole. I could see other cultures. I could see other species and I could see the programming coming in and I could see the behaviors that were occurring. And I felt like this isn't right. Like this isn't natural. Like none of it felt like it was the way that it's supposed to be. Same. And then as my life progressed into my early teens and 20s, it felt like a movie. I was watching a bad movie. <laughs> I felt like I was watching a bad yeah, movie. Yeah, like a Truman Show. Yeah, I'm watching this bad movie and I'm like, what is what is going on here? Like, am I a character? I'm obviously a character in this movie, but am I writing the movie? And do I have any control over the script? And, and I felt this real duality between my ability to like already know the path of who are who we are to begin with like a light being love consciousness connective community family based like just pure energy but then also being polarized in this sense like I still had major temper and issues when I was young and and so there was parts of me that resonated with the bad movie yeah, right? totally. Yeah. So I bought into it still. So, yeah. so my question to you is like, who were you? Like, what do you, how do you identify with yourself before that recognition of time? Like who, what was your name before you were born is the, the koan that asks that question. And then as you come back to self-awareness now where you've been coming, you know, full circle, circle. What do you, how do you see yourself now? Do you relate to that same child mind? It's an interesting uh, question. You know, the the thing for me was that I always felt different and like I didn't belong ever since. And then, you know, a lot of it was my physical appearance, just ginger kid, you know, like that's growing up where growing up in England, which was still had ginger kids, but that was. You know, from the beginning, you know, if you're different at all, kids are brutal, right? Yeah. No matter what. Like, even if you just had some little minor difference, that was something everyone made fun of. But So that was always there. But I also just felt that in general anyway. I always felt like I was, I just didn't fit in correctly. And so from the very beginning as a child, even in, I remember when I was in England, I moved away from England when I was seven. Um, my dad is a cinematographer. And so that's what brought us out to the United States. And I, even then I remember thinking, man, like, I feel like the adults are lying to me. Like, I feel like there's something off here. Like there's something just doesn't feel right. And I, and I knew that as a, as a child, you know, like six, seven years old. Um, and then, and I, as I got older, I still felt that. And I still didn't feel like I belonged, like I fit in. I still like felt like something was wrong. And then as I got into my teenage life, I just knew I had to rebel. And, and I didn't know why I didn't have, the, I didn't have the knowledge yet. I didn't have the life experience. I just felt, man, fuck this. I'm not going to, I'm not going to buy this. I'm going to, I'm going to rebel. I don't know why, but I know I need to. And I did anarchy for a while, you know? And then eventually I got to psychedelics and I started going to meditation. And I started, cause I was digging, man. I was taking comparative religion, nutrition, all kinds of classes and through college and high school, trying to figure out, you know, who, what, what is, what is the point of being here? We just like suck in air and that's it. And, you know, and then just like, <laughs> yeah. like you know, yeah. <laughs> or, or, is our like is there a higher purpose like why yes. are we here you know yes. like that so i was always fascinated with that that's always been my biggest fascination with consciousness what what is the point why is everything so why is there nothing else competing with us on this planet you know like like why is the, there's 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 
whales and dolphins. And now we're understanding there's lots of species that have even higher knowledge and intelligence than we do, but they're not out there building internets and trying to defeat nature and, you know, trying to destroy viruses. And, you know, there's a lot to go around that we can get back into later. But, um, you know, so I was always super fascinated with that. And then I started realizing, especially, you know, I have to give credit to psychedelics. You know, mushrooms were my first experience that really opened my mind and really made me believe that what I was feeling was real. Because I'd felt this thing in the background my whole life, and I never had a way to understand it, and I never had anyone to help me with it. And I got, I, I, I did mushrooms, and I went in the forest with my friends, and I had this experience where I was, I was meditating under this tree, and I could feel the roots vibrating, and I, and I was like, what are they talking or something? You know, and this is you know thirty years ago, and yes, you know, and then you start watching Paul Stamets now and all this stuff, and they they say that's that's literally how the trees talk to each other is they create this vibrations in their root systems, and that's. I, and I heard it and I felt it because I was on mushrooms and I was like, and I had this, you know, it really just expanded my awareness to this bigger consciousness that was all around us. And, and then I was like, okay, I wasn't, you know, thank, thank God I wasn't wrong. I, I was, I'm onto something. And I know, and that really even set the fire under in motion at that point, got heavy into meditation, fire walking, sweat lodging, whatever I could get my hands on to try to expand my field of awareness. What age was to this that you start, you were like, diving into this? Was, 15 to 18 19 and then i then i and then after college i went really hard into like i had eight years of sobri- complete sobriety i meditated pretty on much every single day from about age 20 to 28 or so uh and that was a big big spiritual journey i went on but you know it was kind of bad timing in the sense that no one else my age is doing anything remotely close to that. So I was hanging out like a bunch of 50 year olds and stuff like these meditation classes and whatever. And so I was having this hard time relating to their lives and what they were talking about. And I, I was missing some of the chaos, you know, cause part of me was totally and still is addicted to the chaos. Gotta be honest about it. Right. You, so I, I, I went till 28 pretty hard on that program. And then I just said, you know, I'm kind of bored and lonely right now. Like I, I don't have anyone in my age group to hang out with or relate to. So I, I actively chose to go back into the chaos and the party scene and to everything and kind of drop away from that more monk style life that I had for a while. I, I gained so much knowledge and information in that time though. And it really helped me uh, now in my later years, come back to this field of spirituality that I've really d- dedicated myself to. Yeah. So I, I want to touch on a couple of points. Um, one, mushrooms, psilocybin mushrooms were a huge um, catalyst for me as well. I had early experiences with LSD in my teens into my twenties, but, and they were mind opening, but they didn't have the same kind of deep, deep, um, connection to self connection to greater purpose, connection to higher intelligence. And it's like, say you, you felt the trees vibrating and that's a connection to a higher intelligence, right? There's a, there's obviously a a intelligence outside of ourself. And one of my early um, psilocybin experiences at a high dose in solitude was one of having to find forgiveness for people that um, in my life that I was very angry at, that I had a lot of anger. And that anger was just living in me. I wasn't around those people at all. Like I lived in another country, you know, they weren't even in my life. I'm just going through my day-to-day life, living my life and thinking I'm doing great, but inside I'm actually full of anger towards these an individual and and then recognizing I need to find forgiveness and express that forgiveness and so I'm really grateful for psilocybin's continual arrival throughout my life at different points of need 
to help me find these bridges that I didn't even know I needed to cross. Yeah. Right. And the other part I wanted to touch on is, so you, you said, you know, 15, 18 to like 28 years old. So that good chunk of like, you know, 10 plus years of early, uh, early adulthood. Yeah. And a lot of meditating going on at that time. And then the meditating stopped. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And now the meditating's back. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I dropped off. And it's funny, right? The 28 year cycle or, you know, I think a Saturn return is 28 years. And I think every seven years you're having, you know, your cells regenerate pretty much in all all of your body. And that's a 28 is a cycle of four of that. But I, I have noticed that's a very interesting point to bring up actually almost to the key. Every seven years I go through cycles in my life, I've noticed. Uh, where another yeah, cycle starts. It's very interesting. Um, without you thinking about it, you just go back and look. You're like, whoa, I had this big change in my life. Oh, wow, that was, again, seven years. That's right on the mark. I had a big relationship change or like a career change or, you know, the way that you, you interact with the world has completely shifted. Um, yeah, so I, 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 I'm really glad that I had that time in my life and I'm glad that I am able to come back to it now like and really um, enjoy and understand what it's about. And I'd be be excited about. I'm excited about it every day. I get up like I can't tell you, dude. I've never been excited, dude. But I can't wait to meditate. Like I'm stoked. Like like <laughs> that's I'm awesome. like stoked on it. You yeah. know, I'm like I'm like whoa, where did that come from? You know, it's uh, it's because I'm having such a so much in there. You know, there's so much in there. And I and I, every time I go I, and I, and you get better and better at journeying. And the more you do it, the more you practice it. Just like riding a bike, just like base jumping, just like any activity. You just get better Train at it the, the more you do it. Yeah. yeah. And I said, so now I'm just like so excited to just keep getting better at it. So I had a similar experience in the context that um, when I started skydiving at 21 years old, I learned to meditate because of skydiving. I didn't know that I already knew moving meditations through motorcycles and bicycles and athletics where it was like the moving meditation, but I actually learned seated meditation because of skydiving where I would sit in the plane and I would pre and visualize the thing that I was going to. So it's visualization. It's another word for meditation. Yeah, totally. It's It's a form of meditation. Yeah, Yeah. it's a form of meditation where we're actually planting an image within our quantum field that we're saying, this is what is going to happen in my future. And I also learned by going into competition skydiving to sit straight back completely chill, lots of other energies around. Energies that are anxious, energies that are aggressive, all these different types of energies in the airplane of people who are having their own experience, getting ready for their own round of competition and to just be non-reaction, non-attachment to any of these energies, whether there's anxiety around the wind or the altitude or the speed or some of the, whatever's happening that's causing elevated energies to occur, I'm just going to stay completely unattached. And this is honestly is one of the two big keys to my competition success is this non-attachment to these energies around me, not relating to them at all. And then also having these visualization practices of following a mantra within my head silently over and over and over again that affirmed the elements of my performance that I needed to execute in order to perform. And I developed that mantra based on identifying my areas of error, where my weaknesses were and where I tended to make repeated mistakes. And so I would anchor in the positive things that needed to occur at those points by repeating them in like a six or seven step mantra. 
over and over again in time with my breathing. So I repeat the mantra, breath, repeat the mantra, breath internally and maintain that throughout the entire skydive. And so I don't ever think consciously about anything else except for those words through in my head and all the other things just happen automatically. So why do I want to take the time to repeat this for our listeners who've heard me talk about it before is because the meditations that you and I are now both practicing have to do with this same kind of process, but it's not related to a physical action like completing a, a jump on a skydive or whatever athletic endeavor that might be, whether it's a long jump or who cares, it doesn't make any difference, right? It's more about embracing an energy and this was this same element existed in that, but I wasn't always as attuned to it. It was just happening naturally, which is like embracing the love of the feeling of being successful and just loving doing what I'm doing, right? And so I would go into my heart energy that says, I'm going to totally win this. And not there's no doubt. There's zero doubt. It is 100% belief, confident, zero question in my mind. This is what is going to happen. And that's not an ego piece. No, it's a way of manifesting it. It's a way of manifesting yeah. it. Yeah. yeah. But, and feeling, feeling that feeling, like just like laying in a hot bath of that feeling of this is already done. Yeah. 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 And it's interesting when you were saying that, I was just thinking about like, man, Imagine if we could do that with even just another 20% of our life, right? Because a lot of people, we, we do it with, with high-stress situations. We do it when we're putting ourselves in extreme sports, when we're, we're like having to get into a flow state, when we're, I'm like forcing myself into a corner when I'm like base jumping, for instance, you know, I'm making myself have to get into that headspace because I'm doing a dangerous activity. So that's, that's why I'm enjoying the shift in meditation now is because I'm, I'm not, I'm not, I'm just sitting on my couch. You know, I'm not, I'm not putting myself in any kind of stressful situation. I am just inducing this because I know it's good for me now. So I'm taking away like the, 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 the applications of the force. Like, like if you eat mushrooms or you take ayahuasca, you have no choice. You have no choice. Yeah. You, yep, yep. See you later. You're going to have to do it now. And if you don't, good luck, whatever. But you know, you're putting yourself in that corner where now I'm just making the decision. So I'm taking away one of these, these, uh, um, uh, tools, I guess you could say, and just making that more of my conscious decision. Um, so yeah, it's, you know, I've, I've thought about that a lot, Jay. It's like, how do I apply like exactly what you just talked about, the thing that you developed to become a world champion in swooping, how do I develop that into my life where I can use it on a daily and not feel like overwhelmed by this idea that I have to overthink everything and I have to visualize all this stuff all the time. How do I make like a, how do I simplify that practice to where I can just be in a flow state for the day doing mundane things and also by the way how do i enjoy mundane things that's a big one because me and you're like extreme everything let's go yeah okay if you're gonna do it let's do it 120 percent and then you know and like so with everything and sometimes that's, that's super not great <laughs> <laughs> and i'm like okay so actually how do i just enjoy folding the laundry how do i enjoy just making i actually nice love it me too you know, but making this meditations out of it, right? And how it's clean, washing dishes, sweeping the floor, whatever, simple stuff like that, or, or driving somewhere to get something, just being able to just be happy with what I'm doing as it is right now. And so I've, I, I took a big step back from from jumping for a while also because I had enough, I fractured my heels on a one wheel, but that's another story. 
Um, but you know, and, but because of that process, I was able to step back and, and really kind of rethink about all, all of this. You know, I, it's natural anyway at this, I think as we get older that you want to start incorporating just how do I be happy now? How, if I actually died right now, like sitting here talking to you, I'd be pretty stoked sitting with one of my best friends talking about life and spirituality, you know, but how do I do the same thing if I'm in a stressful situation or if I'm in a, in a place of my life that I'm not necessarily happy with, you know, how do I bring back all of these, these things I've developed through extreme sports and psychedelics and then all these applications? How do I make that just available any moment that I, that I need it? And for me so far, meditation has been the way that it, that's the next step for me because it's, it's bringing that closer every day. Like I told you, we have been doing this practice now three months straight and I've noticed that just my default setting is different now. Every, I just don't, just the transparency of the world is a little bit thinner. It's a little bit more see-through than it used to be. And I just have, I, I like, I don't freak out as hard anymore. I don't, I don't take the bait when someone gives it to me, like, here, go ahead, freak out. And I'm like, I don't just do it, you know? So, <laughs> so I have this phrase that I like to use, which is life is an altered state. And I like the phrase because we think that we're in like, default is normal. Like my perception of the world around me is normalized. This is the world. This is real, the reality, right? And I don't believe that. I think you're right. I don't believe that at all because like the young me, the child I was talking about earlier that saw the world around me, he goes, this is a mess. This isn't the real thing. Yeah. There are things, nothing like this. Like it, this isn't playing the way that it's supposed to. So um, what you're just saying is like, oh yeah, when I'm basing or when I'm skydiving or when I'm doing some riding a high-speed motorcycle sidecar or whatever it is that you choose to do where you force yourself into a corner, uh, you take a, a high a psychedelic drug that makes you now have to meditate. You're now, you realize I'm in an altered state. Being in a high speed on a sidecar or being in an ayahuasca ceremony are altered states. And so we go into this like inside reflection, like quiet voice, outside voice, quiet, inside voice, listening, right? And really reflecting on what's going on inside of ourselves. And so I like to reflect that to the life is an altered state ideal to say, am I list recognizing that I'm currently high on life right now and I could be having a bad trip or I could be having a good trip or I can be not even aware that I'm tripping, but I, the whole concept of just recognizing there should be no difference in our default reaction to how I'm observing my, my own reactions, whether I'm in a ayahuasca ceremony or whether I'm just sitting on the couch feeling a little anxious about something or, or agitated or, you know, that like I noticed when I'm in an Aya ceremony, when my body itches and I get some like part that's scratchy and I can't, this is a physical representation of an emotional experience that I'm ignoring, right? My, my body's telling me straight up telling me you're bothered by something. Listen to it, right? That thing is annoying you. And you're completely blocking it. So it becomes a physical manifestation of the body. And I start tossing, turning, you know, and I go, hey, just listen to it. And I go, okay, well, what needs to be heard? And if I actually ask myself the question and say, what is this that needs to be heard? And shut up long enough in my own mind to hear what my body, soul, heart has to say. 
about what needs to be heard, then I can actually give that tension or love or compassion or empathy or whatever emotion needs to be given to myself to actually heal that part, soothe that part, relieve it, rather than back to conscious everyday altered state of just living, shoving a donut in my face or drinking a beer or turning the television on or whatever coping mechanism, numbing agent I'm going to default to rather than like, so the consciousness is like sobriety, right? Like sobriety is truly being present to everything that's going on for myself and not numbing anything, no numbing agents at all, no sex numbing agent, no going, I'm going to go for a run, make myself feel better. Right. right? right. It, all of this is the same thing. I'm going to go base, I'm going to go skydive and do whatever it is just to make myself feel better. I'd love the idea of just making myself feel better by listening to myself, yeah. my own needs. Yeah. yeah. Being content with where you're at. Yeah. Which is an interesting dichotomy, right? Because there's that desire always to, at least for me, to evolve, to be a better version of myself the next moment than I was before. You know, that's that's always there for me. But also then there's also this side that you need to just be happy with who you are. So, so that's that practice of, and this is what I kind of resonate with some of the Buddhist philosophy is, is you know, the idea is that when they say non-attachment, that doesn't mean you just don't care anymore and you just don't and you, and you just sit there and do nothing. It means that you you give everything still without attachment to the outcome. So 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 that's that's the way you can still be present with who you are and still evolve yourself to the next day. Is that you can still push and give energy and and passion and and um, resources to a better version of yourself without being attached to the outcome. Because if you do it that way, then the process of just pushing yourself in that direction is the reward, not what happens at the end of it. This is the whole, the journey is the destination right. modality, right? Right. It's, it's right. And you, and you know, that's constant to float around my brain for a long time, but to actually, now I'm feeling like a, an ex, I'm having an experiential understanding of it now where I, where I feel that that's the way I can be present now, right? That's how I can be happy with the mundane. Is if I, if I'm just present with who I am and be happy with who I am and not be judging of who I am, but at the same time know where my weaknesses are that I'm trying to work on and working towards them without attachment to the outcome, without attachment to if and when I get to it. Just the fact that I am trying and I'm putting my intention into it is the most important part, right? I've always said that intention is the most important of everything. I have friends that are tweakers, that are you know drug addicts. I have friends that are doctors in the ER. I have all friends of all kinds of walks of life, and and the reason that I, the friends I keep in my life are the ones. Does it, some of them just are better at life than others are, but they're because I know their hearts in the right place and their intention was good. Even if they've screwed me over, even if they've burned me before, even if they made a hundred mistakes to me towards, if I know their intention wasn't to actually hurt me or to be you know mischievously taking advantage of me or any of those kind of things. If I know they just messed up, I will get, I have all the heart for them in the world, you know? And so the, so the same reason I can keep all kinds of walks of life and friends that way. But you know, the minute I feel like you're just someone that just will always try to take advantage of people around them. I don't want to be around that vibration and that's okay. I'm not going to try to change you. I'm just going to walk away. That's it. You know, and I'll let you do your thing. But I, 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 I that's where I bait. That's what I base my, model off right now of, of who I want in my life is people that are intentionally trying to do the right thing, listen to their heart, trying to raise their vibration, trying, even if they're failing, even if they're failing miserably, I, I, I the fact that they're putting their heart towards it, that's what counts the most for me. Mm, this is why we're friends, right? 
Um, so I want to touch on a couple points. Um, I want to jump back to that period of sobriety in your twenties, but before we go there, I want to talk about some of our early friendship. I was going through a really rough period of re-identifying myself, uh, trying to learn who I really am again, having peeled away at a number of my coping, coping mechanisms. I was dealing with a serious bout of addiction, had all kinds of problems coming up. And you were going through another re-identification of self. You were splitting off in a marriage and stepping away from a career that you've been doing for ages and alcoholism and drug use and things were just coming up. And, and, you know, I remember going to ceremony with you and you, 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 you spit out one of my favorite lines I ever heard. It just cracked me up so much. And you're like, you're giving your share to everybody and, and you're like, oh, this and that. I just, and I threw my phone in the ocean, you know, <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, that expression of, <laughs> That'll serve, serve you. you. <laughs> That'll teach you. I'll teach you. Yeah. <laughs> I'll teach you. Me. I'm talking to me. I'm pointing three fingers at myself right now. Right. I'll teach you for getting angry about whatever I'm angry about. You know, that'll cost you a thousand bucks. Oh, that was a thousand dollars. I hope I backed up my phone. <laughs> <laughs> that um, that time for me was really special um, because that that two or three years there where we were both um, really pretty rough. We were both pretty rough. Uh, now that I look back at, it, I looked at a photo from one of our first trips together. Yeah, we're like, all puffy and yeah, we yeah. look terrible. Yeah, and now I look at the photos of us together. I'm like, wow, we look like totally different people. Yeah. Um, so I want to say thank you for that because that's a you. You've been a huge guide and real value of my life. And I want to spin us back to your early 20s because there's a conversation that came up recently, which yeah. has been on the news a lot lately. And you shared it with me in confidence before. And before the show, I asked you if it's something you want to share about or not. So I'd like for you to tell me about your UFO experience. Yeah, yeah, I'm happy to. Um, you know, and you, so, you know, five, six, seven, eight years ago, plus before that, I really didn't talk about this very often at all. I kind of buried it deep down in my conscious because I didn't really have a place to go with it. But it kind of resurfaced and I ended up doing some hypnotherapy on it. And I'll, I'll explain why I did that. But uh, so I grew up in Santa Fe, New Mexico, right, which is very close to Los Alamos National Labs, which is 50 miles away from there. That's where they detonated the first atomic bomb. A lot of UFO sightings and extraterrestrial stuff happens in that area, especially in New Mexico in general. There's a ton of sightings there, a ton of stuff that's gone on. Anyway, I wasn't one of those people. I was in my 20s, like during my my completely so sober time, or about right in, I, was, I think I was 24, 25 when this happened. So right in the middle of that eight years of me being completely sober, no, I didn't even do caffeine or sugar or, or anything, man. I was like clean as a whistle. Yeah, I was a monk. I was meditating every day. I was all about the spiritual life. I'm sure my vibration was pretty high. Anyway, I was with five other people. We were hiking a mountain um, in Santa Fe, New Mexico, uh, above above Santa Fe, actually. It's called Sun Mountain. And we had taken a break about halfway up this mountain. We all were planning on, on camping there up there that night, doing an overnight uh, all sober. And uh, we got about halfway up. We took a break. We're looking out over the city, and there was one of these clouds, these lightning clouds. I don't know if you've seen those before, where the lightning's flashing inside the cloud, but it never comes out of the cloud. It's like, oh, that's cool. But it was like the only cloud in the sky that was doing that was there that was doing anything. It was really weird. Uh, so I was just like watching that, and you know, just out of nowhere, this, I mean, football field size blue disc came out of this cloud. 
and you know parked probably 500 yards from us because uh, we we're up on this mountaintop and it was you know we we're probably a couple thousand feet above Santa Fe at that point and this this thing was parked so, so you, you said football field size a football field size huge huge huge, huge disc yeah. yeah so huge and so close that I was completely paralyzed so was everyone else that was with me I tried to move I couldn't uh, I could move my eyes I remember but I couldn't talk I couldn't my all the hairs on my body were standing on end I could hear this electromagnetic hum that I I can I can't replicate I've never heard it before at that time and I haven't heard it since uh it's just this electromagnetic hum and I've now after uh much study I've spent decades researching all this stuff and because of this this chain of events that happened from this um, anyway, so all of us were, it was sat there for 10, 15 seconds to really a long time looking at the details of the ship, um, the, ele- this electromagnetic field I could see around it that was distorting the, the space around the ship. And, uh, I was like, this is it. This is when we get abducted, you know? And it, I was, I was like terrified. I, I, I wasn't one of those guys believing in UFOs. I thought probably they exist, but I'm not, I'm not out there chasing them. I'm not that out there sitting outside at night trying to see stuff. I wasn't researching anything. I wasn't, I didn't have my mind in that at all. And, and so that happened. It made this crackling sound, like a little static crackle sound and it kind of and it disappeared. It was gone. And I was just kind of trying to get my bearings to look at my friends and, and it came reappeared and it sat there again for five, six seconds. And then it shot back up into this cloud and then this little lightning happened in there again. And then that was it. You know, and we stood there for a while just trying to, you know, figure out what happened and then turn to talk and, and we're, I mean, it was terrifying. I was terrified. I'm not going to lie. I wasn't like, oh yeah, the guy, you know, ETs are here. Great. Yeah. We're going to make contact. Great. No, I was like, oh, like, like, you know, you're like in the presence of a technology of something that you just, that you would never have thought is real until you see it. And anyway, we, none of us camped on the mountain that night. Obviously we were all scared and we, we still did finish the hike and got to the top and said, well, I don't know about you guys, but I'm going back down and going into my house with my loved ones and I'm going to lock the door I'm scared right so we kind of did that um anyway I mean a few weeks later I had this experience I was talking to my wife at the time and uh I was laying in bed and I um had already thought kind of forgotten about that you know try to push it to the side of an unknown unexplained experience blocking yeah block that out for now because I don't know I don't know what to do with that data so just going to leave it there um, and I felt kind of that same paralyzed feeling I felt when I was standing there by the ship. It was like, this is almost the same feeling as when you're in between being awake and asleep, um, where you feel like you're awake and you can see things in your room, but you feel like you can't move your body. I was feeling that like this sleep paralysis people talk about, but, but I was, I knew I was awake. I had my eyes open. I could see the light through the kitchen, through the bedroom, through the kitchen. I could hear my wife talking. And I felt my body lifting off my bed and I thought, this is really strange. I feel a presence. I don't know what it is, but I feel the same kind of scared feeling that I felt when I saw the ship. And I lifted, I forced my head up with all my might and I look up and I see this transparent, like now they're calling them interdimensional beings, right? Because we know that that this technology for it to exist with electromagnetic energy and all we can get into how these propulsion systems work and whatnot. But I saw a kind of a see-through, half-transparent, just like you see in the movies, gray being, big eyes, one missing digit from the hand, so three big fingers and a thumb kind of thing. And it had its hand out over me. And it was kind of like halfway like in my wall, like out from my wall over my head with its hand. And I just told it with my mind, I was like, you need to let me the fuck go, you know? Like, And it realized I 
was aware of it. And when it did, I felt my body literally fall back on the bed about an inch. I was like, that was weird. You know, like, okay, I was probably asleep. I was probably having some weird trauma from what I saw two weeks ago, you know, whatever. I tried to rationalize it, make sense of it, and just put it in that department of uh, trauma from seeing this shit, right? Whatever. Two weeks later, which is the craziest part, this is what I went to hypnotherapy for. I, uh, I've lost a whole day of my life. This is all during my sobriety. I was, I've never had any mental, you know, problems. I've never had any gaps of reality, uh, like that, especially being completely sober. You know, I was very, very much aware of my surroundings of my, of my day-to-day moments. I'd never have lost that time. I lost a whole day of my life. Literally though, I remember going to bed the night before. And then the next thing I remember is uh, 12 hours later, 13 hours later, um, waking up in my pickup truck in a dark forest in Los Alamos National Forest, which is 50 miles away from my house. This is before smartphones. This is dry to flip phone back then. Didn't give any navigational stuff on it. I didn't have any maps that could have got, guided me there. I just woke up in a dark forest in my pickup truck uh, in the middle of nowhere down a dirt road and was terrified. You know, I, this is like 10 o'clock at night. And I wake up, so I and I have no clue how I got there. I have no idea what happened. I can't remember anything except for going to bed, and it's dark again, and it's the next day. And I, so I call my mom. I'm freaking out. I have a little bit of service on my phone. I say, Mom, I don't know what happened. I think I'm pretty sure like, a, like I've been kidnapped by humans. I wasn't thinking aliens or anything like that. I was just thinking I'll probably, you know, I've been abducted. Someone's been stalking me, and I'm about to be murdered, and this is it. You know, so I call my mom. is crying hysterically, and she remembers this conversation. We just talked about it. The mom, I'm going to die. I'm sorry. Like you're a great mom. I just want to tell you I love you. I don't know where I am. I don't know what's going on. I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm going to be murdered. You know, and she said, trying to calm me down. You know, talk me through it. Finally, she's like, well, you know, start making rational decisions. Look and see other keys in the truck. And then there was, and you know, I was like, start my truck, and no one's there. My bed on my back. You know, there's no like guy who like with a Jason mask ready to chop my head off or anything. And so I just drive down this dirt road for a few miles, actually, like pretty deep in this forest and come out to a paved road that says Santa Fe 50 miles that way. I'm like, what the <laughs> just happened, right? Like what just happened? I lost a whole day of my life. I have all these messages on my phone asking my wife, asking where I've been and, you know, what have I been, you know, uh, people who knew that I should be around or knew that I wasn't around. And I just drove back home, you know, just in complete shock. Like I had just shock feeling in my body the whole time, just like fear and shock and got home and yeah. And I couldn't make any sense of it. And what did I do? You know, like what, what can you do at that time? I, I just like, okay, I'm going to sound like a crazy person if I talk about this. So I'm just going to put that in that whole section of things that just happened. I'm just going to bury that deep and I'm going to forget about it. And I did a decade or so, you know, and then I, I, they started resurfacing. I started having these feel these feelings come up about it. I started, you know, I started feeling like I needed to talk about it. I started feeling like I need to research it. So I started researching UFO stuff a bunch, trying to find out if anyone else that claims to have had experiences like this, um, you know, what what kind of state of mind were they in, or were they are they do they are they actually crazy people, or are they people that you know are respectable in the sense that they've got careers and they they're good good sound of mind and. So I started really, really diving into it. Uh, and then I really wanted to figure out what happened. So I ended up doing a hypnotherapy session actually with with Tammy. Um, and and yeah, I, it was very eye-opening actually. I thought probably I'd, I'd been taken up into a ship and they'd done experiments and whatever. That was my guess. 
Um, but what I saw was that I actually got taken out of the, my truck down into a base, like in the, in the same way that that ET, that gray was floating over me in my bedroom. It was able to change my molecular makeup to be able to do the same thing. And literally I just saw myself get transported through the earth. Yes. Through matter to, to a, a, a base that they had that was in cahoots with the U S government with Los Alamos national labs. And that was a place where they were able to just carry out. This is the, this is the contract, right? They showed me they had a contract with the government that they were trading tech with the government for the ability and the freedom to do tests on human beings. Right. There's a, there's a whole hybrid hybridization product project that's been going on for a long time i believe humans are, are an alien hybrid species that's for sure without a doubt in my mind now because of what happened um anyway it showed me all the tests it did i had this pain in my right hip above my hip and this little weird lump on my hip ever since then it's always been sourced never changed but i'm pretty sure that's a chip i'm pretty positive of it i want to get an mri done to see if there's anything that's detectable on it because um, anyway, that, and I, when I did the hypnotherapy, I asked him, I said, what was the point? Like, was, you know, cause I felt like maybe I'm special. Maybe I'm supposed to, you know, have some kind of interactions with these beings. Maybe I'm in some past life. I've been one of these beings. What, what's the, what's the thing? And they're like, they were kind of like, no, you're nothing special. You're like a lab rat for us. Like, you know, you're just a, we just, you had a different vibration than I, I, I believe that's why they chose me because I was vegetarian. I was meditating every day. I was super clean, sober. I was my vibrational energy energy was very different than everyone else's that I was with in that group, and they probably pinpointed me out and thought, "Oh, this this guy, we should study this guy and see what what his deal is because his vibration is very different than everyone else's." So I think I was in the wrong place at the right time. They have probably warped out of their electromagnetic travel, and just you know those those ships are so intelligent. They have crazy AI on them, and they're scan the whole area and they see oh they've got these life forms here and they probably just you know took an imprint of me and said oh we'll go we'll go check that guy out later and i think that's all i was to them they're like yeah that's pretty much it and i was like i asked him if i was going to have any more contact with them or interactions and they're like yeah when we come and take the chip back which is in what do they say when you're 65 you say well we've got a 40-year contract 40-year contract with you and we'll take the chip back when you're 65 you might remember you might not but that's when we're going to take the data back and i was that's like that's incredible <laughs> yeah i was like whoa holy crap i was hoping for something more meaningful right like oh this is going to be the start of this awesome intergalactic relationship and i'm going to like find out more about what's going on and this human experiment and you know what because i think we are i think earth is a is a lab planet i really believe that i think we are we were seated here we were we were we we're a hybrid for chimpanzees and some some extraterrestrial beings i believe that with all my um, I'm, I'm part of the ancient astronaut theory for sure um, and you know, and that's because I, I don't know, I'm never going to try to convince any one of these things or say that, that they should believe these things. I wouldn't have believed it myself unless I had this crazy experience of my life, but it happened and I did. And it was one of the most profound changes of my life. It made me really open up my mind to what, what, what is that? Cause that's been the big question. Right? Why are we here? What's going on? You know, are the religions right? Are these other philosophies right? Is science right? What, what is actually the, why are we here? And I believe I got my answer, you know, like I, I, I believe it now. So, you know, I never would have talked about this you know, even five, six years ago, like on this kind of platform. But so thank you for allowing me to do that. And now we're seeing right now it's coming out. U.S. government's admitting, you know, these whistleblowers are coming out. All these pilots are coming out saying, yeah, we chase UFOs all the time. I just went to uh, West Virginia, uh, to the East Coast to do this Tony Hawk building jumping event. And I we were out partying that night and I met uh, 
I met a, an F-18 pilot who I didn't know. And I just was shooting the shit with. And I just made a joke like, hey, you guys like, have you like, by the way, do you, do you ever see any UFOs while you're flying? Your and he's like, and he kind of looked at me kind of like funny. And he's like, uh, yeah, actually, I chase them a lot, actually. I pretty regularly. And I was like, whoa, like, okay, here's this random pilot I just met at this event who's openly talking about it. And I know. All that that guy, you know, the the, the Tic Tac videos that the U.S. government admitted was theirs. That was a leaked document. Or if you know the whole backstory of that, but but some some guys in the Senate got involved because they realized there's all these black budget operations going on. They're outside of the you know congressional hearing and and or any oversight at all. They probably did start as a as a regulatory government body back in the 50s and 40s when all this started happening originally. And now over time, it's become corporatized and, and, and kind of sourced out from the government so they could do they, they could have more power and more leeway to do what they want. So without oversight, right? And so some guys in the Senate realized that and they, they secretly got a couple hundred million dollars in this little bill they passed. And so it took them 10 years. This is the resort, result of 10 years of research they put in. They started it during uh, the Obama administration went through the Trump or no, the Bush administration, went through the Obama administration and then one year into the Trump administration. And that's when they finally, after 10 years of research of being digging through the government, were able to get leaked some of these documents. That's how those F-18 pilot videos got out in the first place. It's because guys in the government are realizing they're being bamboozled too. It's not even there. These, these, these black budget operations are outside of the parameters of the government. And there, so that's this is what's now the government's waking up and saying, "Oh man, we're we're being hacked too. We're being tricked." Don't too. know what the right hand doesn't know what the left hand is doing. Yeah. yeah. So so now is now there's there's all this momentum and there's all these people coming forward and there's a ton of them. There's so much evidence now. It's it's not even a question. Yes. There's, there's hundreds and hundreds of ex-military and military guys that are or, that are still serving right now in radar positions, in nuclear missile positions, in piloting positions, CIA positions, and working in. Area 51 positions with the propulsion systems and retro-engineered stuff from back technology, whatever. It's There's so much data now. It's it's irrefutable now. People, If you just look just past the first layer of garbage that's out there on the internet and you just start digging a little bit, you'll start re realizing. And I really um, encourage people to listening to watch Unacknowledged. Um, Dr. Stephen Greer, he's one of the, the forefront guys of this whole research, and he actually has real data and real then. um research for 20 30 years of research that he's put into it and there's this it's it's in, he's the one that got the that all these these um, whistleblowers to come forward under oath and talk about what they went through in their military experience um, and you know there's a lot of speculation that the whole reason there's any interest in us to, in, in in the first place is because of our nuclear technology they say since we detonated the first atomic bomb in 1945 or whatever it was um the 19, then 1947 was the roswell crash right and then all of these incidents, especially in the 50s, there was tons and tons of sightings. And the people that became normal. When nuclear like, bombs yeah. were being blown off yeah. constantly nuclear, all over the world. Exactly. And they're like, like, oh, look at yeah. these monkeys with these crazy weapons now, right? Yeah. You know, because there's a theory that when we detonated the atomic bombs, not only tearing the time and space fabric of our reality, but it's timing the time and space fabric of their realities too. Because if you believe in multidimensional experiences like quantum theory talks about, you know, we're in the third dimensional reality that we're in. There's fourth, fifth, and so on, you know, right? Like we're seeing one the time is the fourth dimension. If you're able to travel through interstellar travel, you're you're manipulating time, right? Because you're yeah. going through time and space at such a level. Uh, we can get into, you know, and the whole propulsion system behind that and why this technology has been hidden from us for so long. This is another question, right? Is because th these this type of technology would completely free us from the petroleum cartel, right? From 
from all of these big things that are destroying our planet, right? Right in front of our faces. We're in the middle of the what they call the global boiling now, right? We're watching it unfold. There's no reason for us to be using this technology and watch super outdated, except for the fact that it keeps the power where it should be, right? If you're if if you gave free energy to people, you gave them a, a device that could just harness out of the ether electricity and power for everything, all your resources and all your needs, you would have no need to be on the grid anymore. You have no need to be dependent on the system anymore at all. Everywhere, it would completely be a complete shift of power, right? And everyone, so no one that is in the 1% wants to do that, right? If you were a gazillionaire, lived from passed down generation to generation, then, you know, you're, that's not going to be your agenda. So yeah, that's all conspiracy theory and whatever, what have you. I, I, I've i delved deep into this because I had a real interaction with five other people. I wasn't in my dreams. I wasn't by myself. I wasn't, you know, I had, I have so much data, empirical data from what happened. And for me that, that it became irrefutable for me, it, I based a lot of my studies and research off of that experience, you know, so, and that was one of them for so that's 21 years ago that happened. Amazing. Thank you for sharing that. That's a, that's a big story. Yeah, there's a lot in there. There's a lot in there. I think, I mean, the big piece of it, I mean, we can all identify with elements of it. I want to touch on a couple areas. One is hypnotic regression being the tool that you utilize to help get inside yourself to be able to dig deeper into what actually happened because our emotional body tends to shut things down because we don't want to feel them or they're, they're scary. We're protecting some part of us. A, a protector arrives and like, we don't, we don't feel that anymore. And so I want to tie that back to something that you touched on earlier in the podcast, which was about men not being allowed to have feelings, right? That men not being allowed to be afraid, right? So, I mean, we all have been there. You and I know very, each other very well that we've had these coping mechanisms that we've crutched on heavily to shut down emotions that we don't want to feel, right? Whether that's alcohol or drugs or addictions of whatever kind, right? And we can all think of easily a list of our friends and family members who have these same challenges, right? And so there's this programming that comes to our culture, which is like, don't be weak, don't have fear, don't feel pain, don't be afraid, uh, don't be, you know, whatever derogatory word you want to throw at the end of that sentence. And then, so we shut them down and we put up our coat of armor. And then at the same time, we don't have the skills. We don't know. There's no way these things are going to continue coming back. And sometimes they're hard to unbury. It's like, archaeology of the soul, right? And I'm a huge fan of archaeology and human history, and I love paleontology and ancient writings, and there's petroglyphs all over where I live. I live in, covered in petroglyphs everywhere. Yeah, so with aliens on them. Aliens, yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah. So you walk around, you look at these pictures drawn on the wall thousands of years ago, and you're like, oh, that's an alien, that's a spaceship, you know? And so it's pretty obvious sometimes, right? Like, it's super obvious. And so I wanted to touch on, ask you a few things on the hypnotic regression piece, because I've also done this for myself. And I was blown away by what came up for me. I had no idea that these stories were within me and I had all these previous lives that I'd lived. So tell me a little bit about how the, what is hypnotic regression? How does it work? And people like have a misconception about it, thinking that, that, you know, someone like puts you in some spell or something and then you're just do whatever they tell you to do. And that's, that's not the case with what, with this kind of therapy. I'm, I'm, I, I've seen videos of people doing weird stuff like that, but but what I, what I did was uh, basically it's almost like a meditation. Um, someone that they're using 
key words. I think it's a lot around that, how they, how they word everything and how they guide you through the process. I just felt like I was in a meditation, just like any other meditation, except for that I had a guiding voice there to kind of tell me where to direct my, my consciousness. I had some practice when I was younger with doing some past life regressional work and stuff like that, where it was a similar experience. Kind of, it feels like you're just getting your ego out of the way and trying not to expect or imagine anything. You know, you don't want to just tell some phony story from your imagination or because you want to, you want it to be a certain way, you know, like, like I had no clue that I would have thought that I had been taken into an underground base, for instance, that was never in my con in my mind, not one second until I said it. Right. So that was surprising to me. I was, I was sure that I, I'd been taken up from a ship, right. Or, or something else had happened. Not that I'd been taken down to some base that came out of nowhere, like left field for me. So I knew I wasn't making this up. I wasn't trying to imagine that was the story. You just, I, I just, you really just, the way, the best way to do it is to get yourself out of the way and stop trying to hope for a certain outcome or, or imagine that this is, this is what I want to be the truth or the story. You just have to just kind of be non-attached in a way, like kind of Buddhist about it and just say, okay, I'm just going to let my consciousness speak and see what happens. And I did. And that's, that's, that's really the kind of the, the gist of hypnotherapy, right? And the people have a good success with quitting smoking, with all kinds of stuff with hypnotherapy by b making these suggestions. And it's just a way to, it's like a backdoor through your subconscious, you know? So, you know, you got like these firewalls in your body and your subconscious to protect yourself from, from trauma, from bad things that have happened. And so the, you may you have this maze of things you need to get through in order to get to the truth where the hypnotherapy is kind of like this back door where you can just kind of sneak around the back and, and just get into the subconscious. And that, that, that's, I was very surprised with what came out of that session, honestly. Um, and I know a lot of people that have done hypnotherapy for other reasons say the same thing. So, so I, I highly recommend, I'm really curious about hypnotherapy, honestly. It's something I'd like to in, incorporate because I, I have a master plan to try to, I'm, you know, I'm going to school now to become a respiratory therapist, which is all around the heart and the lungs, right? And that's, that's one of my most, my, the heart is my biggest fascination. Um, and so I want to, I want to build a practice after outside of that job, because that's going to be in a hospital, medical, Western medicine setting, uh, where I'm going to make a more of a integrative holistic medicine practice where I, now that I'll have all of that background understanding and science of how the heart and lungs work, I want to be able to incorporate that into breath work. Uh, into hypnotherapy, into things like that, where I can where I can create like a like a, my own practice out of it, you know, and use that information because I, for me, it's what's so interesting about the the, the lungs and the heart. Those those are two things you can manipulate with your consciousness. You can slow your 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 breath works automatically, but you can also change it by thinking about it. You can slow your breath down. You can speed your breath up. You can choose how you decide. But if you don't think about it, your breath is automatic. Same with your heart. Your heart always works from the minute you're born to the minute you die. And, but at the same time, monks and people who have good meditation practice, they've been proven to be able to slow their heart rate down uh, during with their mind, right, with their consciousness. So those are two windows to the subconscious. When that's, that's the key. All meditation, almost all meditation practices have to do around the breath, right? Yoga, everything, all around the breath. Yeah, so the breath is that window. It's that gate. It's that it's that keyway to the subconscious, just like hypnotherapy. And so the that's I'm fascinated by that because you know we're we're here in this conscious mind thinking we're making all the decisions. But listen to anyone that knows anything about science, 
where five percent of your waking mind of your of your consciousness is your is your waking mind, right? The subconscious is ninety five percent. So you got all these subconscious programs going on in the background all the time, telling you how to think, how to feel, how to act, how to respond, and it's not really your conscious mind that's making the decisions. So you, to, in order to change anything, you have to learn how to get into the programming and change it from the inside. If you do that, then you, you're, if you start to change the programming and upgrade the programming, you're basically upgrading your hardware. You're getting a new version of Mac OS or whatever operating system you're doing. You're you're upgrading that system so that it's default running at a higher vibration than it was before. And you can do that. You can do that with your consciousness through these gateways, through your breath, through you know, through your heart. You can use these gateways to get into the subconscious, and you can actually start changing the programming. So I want to I want to. Um push off this point because there's a really, uh, I mean, we're talking about alien intelligences, right? And higher intelligences or, um, intelligent design, right? We're talking about God, yeah, right? We're talking about absolutely everything. We're talking about like alien species, our own species, our own consciousness, our ability to manifest and control the universe, ability to look into our past and our futures and, and really see it all for it is. And I want to go back on my own journey a little bit because you've been key in this in my own um in my own story here i was a christian upbringing and when as soon as i got old enough to start making decisions for myself around 12 years old or so 13 years old i decided i'm not going to believe what i've been told anymore and i'm actually going to take an agnostic position for a while where i'm like i don't know because obviously that doesn't make sense but there's things about it that are good and that doesn't make sense, but there's things about that that are good. And I could see the balance and everything. And so I went for a period of being agnostic and then actually kind of fighting with this a first atheism, right? Like, no, I'm just rejecting. There's no God. And then going, well, actually, I don't think I am not and accepting that for myself. And then sensing the nature of things with psilocybin was a real, like I was starting to see my eyes were starting to open and I could see, I'm like, there's more behind the curtain. You know, I started to see behind the curtain and then obviously the one that completely blew me out of the water was DMT. When I started to use DMT and, and explore that compound and that transitioned into ayahuasca and 5-MeO DMT, these compounds opened me up to the infinite interactions with thousands or more of intelligences, right? Uh, entities, beings of all types and descriptions, beings that are like as simple as kind of a blob of liquidy substance that has its own intelligence that's doing a little job, kind of like a cell does in the body, all the way up to like incredibly articulate and wise and old archetypal beings that have been through infinite numbers of lives and versions of themselves to have matured to the point that they're at to God itself and Buddha, Christ, Allah, like all the beings. So I've, I've now come to this place of like, holy smokes, right? Like I couldn't even possibly dream up the shit that I experienced and when I felt like this is outside of my own capability that was one of my very first deep thoughts with DMT of like this is beyond my scope of imagination like I, what I'm experiencing right now I could never come up with this no matter how, if I spent the rest of my life trying to draw comic books and write fiction novels it would never get this wild 
it would never be this incredible. And so alien intelligences, whether they be kind of, you know, third dimension, fourth dimension, fifth dimension, 11th dimension, ha there's been this big initial like fears within myself, but I've always felt safe. Like I've always felt like these intelligences, these beings, these other dimensional archetypes have always had my best interest at heart, right? And handing, I can remember one experience specifically of interacting with a really powerful entity and that being taking control of my body. And I was terrified. It felt like there was this claw, like an eagle claw that reached down and pierced my chest through my rib cage. And the claw grabbed a hold of my sternum. It didn't go around my heart. Get very precisely the claws interlaced behind my sternum and picked my rib cage up from the sternum, leaving my heart and lungs behind. So that as it picked me up off the ground, it expanded my rib cage and all the air rushed into my mouth. And I was like, I'm breathing and I'm not doing it. And then I had that realization. I'm never, as much as I choose to breathe, my breathing's happening right. automatically all the time anyway. So this is like, this is a version of God telling me, I'm always breathing for you. I've always had you. And then it put me back down and it pressed on my sternum pushed me into the ground and exhaled all the air out of my chest cavity and all the air rushed out through my mouth and my nose at the same time, which is kind of like puking air, like very assertively. And I heard this like weird, like my nostrils kind of like snoring kind of sound. And then it picked me up again and put me down again. And the only thing I could do at the time was possibly was just relax and let go of fear and just be like, don't be afraid. Just, just let it happen. And just, just accept what you're being, what's, here for you and the lesson of it all and that big breath rushing in and out and so i've had my own experiences with this like alien intelligences and higher powers and deep spirituality and having to kind of take my own seat at the table there of being like yeah i may be a lab rat in one scenario or being taught a huge lesson by some massively powerful energy but i'm also that being as well well, yeah, and the lab rat thing is because we are we human beings have such a high potential in the universe. It's ridiculous. That's that's why is because the the grays those guys are stuck. The grays are tech. They depended on technology, and I think I believe the human beings will split in the future. They will create different species, and I think the grays are one version of a species that we create. I think there are descendants from many many thousands of thousands of years in the future. I think they're coming back because they're stuck. They they genetically bred out their emotions from from their from their DNA. They they manipulated purposely that way so that they could they they thought that would create more harmony in in society. It would it would weed out chaos and problems and unknowns. But by doing that, they basically cut off their connection to source. Right? You need the the universe needs chaos as much as it needs order, and then emotions represent that. Right? That's the like emotions have a core raw energy that you can't replicate from just computer hardcore data it's like vault the heart yeah the heart the heart needs the mind the mind needs the heart so they 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 came back to figure out how to that's why they're doing any kind of hybrid tests any kind of experiments is to try to learn how to have emotions again and i realized that like they're not, they're not evil the grays aren't bad but people always perceive it as that they are because they don't have emotions 
they don't they don't have an emotional repertoire at all. They're just organic computers. And so they 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 don't see that they're causing trauma. They're just following the protocol. They're just they're just following what they need to do to get in a result, right? So they're just scientists. They're just complete empirical scientists with no emotional data at all. They're trying to learn from us how to get emotions back again. So we 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 people we are like human beings' potential is so high. We they say that we are a hybrid of many species. Something like eight or nine species have their have their their little DNA kicking with us over the over the millennia. We're some kind of experiment, I believe, that that has the potential to become, I think, a super highly evolved ascended being. And I think we also have that. We're we're at, we're at the the tipping point, right? We can see it. Everyone knows it right now. We're here. This lifetime, right now, it's happening. If you if you don't think that, just open your eyes look and around. look around. What's happening? Yeah, this, we are at the boiling point right now, and it's it's work. Everything's coming to the apex right now, and it's and it's a race, right? It's either going to be annihilation. It's going to be some kind of form of complete mind control that's going to try to go on still. That all the old ways are scraping at the bit. But I don't know if you've, been, if you've been feeling this, which I know you have. We've talked about it, and I know everyone I've spoken to. The vibration is raising on this planet too. The planet's vibration is raising, and it's happening quickly. It's like it's it's like telling us you got you want to get on board because if you do, this is going on. I I felt this instant like just gut feeling. I have to change my lifestyle now. I have to get on the ship. I I can't. I'm, and to do that, I gotta quit. I gotta quit all the substances. I gotta start meditating every day. I had this list of things that told me. I was in meditation and I got this download and it was like, you need to do these things. You need to raise your vibration. You need to prepare. And I was like, what do you mean? I'm, 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 dude, I'm, I'm good. It's like, I'm, what do you mean by that? You, and it's like, you need to prepare. And I was, it was some kind of, I don't know what the being was or what was talking to me, some kind of higher intelligence. And it was very clear, very loud. And it just said, you need to raise your vibration. If you want to get on board, you need to raise your vibration. This is how you do it. I said, okay. I'm, and I, I, dude, I've stuck to it since since it, since I had that the message was very clear, and so I really feel like we're in, we're this is a really important time to be alive, and this is I believe my duty as as a being I believe that we're all I believe in in the spiritual warrior right I believe in the peaceful warrior, and that term warrior doesn't mean violence it means it means peace and love, you know though there's a way to fight against anger and hate by peace and love right by high by higher vibrational energy it takes a lot more courage a lot more strength to switch out of the old paradigms is what it means to be a man or what it means to be human and and change that whole concept and make it something new which is something you can you can feel is true in your heart every time you think about it and go into your heart you know it's true you know it's right you know it's what you're supposed to be doing is getting the vibration of this of humanity higher and that's all you can do. Like, you don't need to become president. You don't need to write a bunch of books. You don't need to like get a mass following on in Instagram. You don't, need, you don't need to do any of that stuff. That's all distraction. We're all interconnected with our vibrational energy. Everything is connected. Everything is in what in this and it's in the unified field. The unified field exists. We know that through science. Now it's this is being proven. We already knew that spirituality has known that for for millennia already. Well, you know, that's why Star Wars was such a hit. I talked about the force all the time, you know, and that's, 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 he was tapping into something that's real. And so, so you just, you doing you and raising your vibration, you're dropping the pebbles into the pond and you're just doing over and over. And if enough people do that, all those ripples from all those pebbles start linking, like we talked about earlier, creating coherence and they start resonating. And when they start resonating, then you start building this massive field of energy. And I felt it like when I did that too, when I meditated with 2000 people for a week, 
it was incredible. You could cut it with a knife. It was so res. It was so apparent. You didn't have to have any spiritual awareness at all, any sensitivity to, to, to feel it. It was so powerful. Just seeing how people getting together and focusing on the same thing resonated to such a degree that it was so tangible. I mean, that's what tra- TM. TM is a super old uh, type of meditation, transcendental meditation. meditation. I yeah. did it when I was younger, and my mom was into it. And those guys have done the test. They've been doing the test for 40, 50 years now. They they go, they would bring 500 people to like a really impoverished area where there's lots of crime and murder and all this bad stuff going on. And they would meditate in a place for a week every night. They'd go there and meditate for however long they did it. And then they would watch, they would study all the crime rates. They would get all the data from the police departments and all that stuff. And they would see dramatic drops every single time they did it, like 40% drops in the crime rates, right? What happened after they would meditate in a place for a week. So we're seeing how much consciousness changes and, and creates our reality, right? We're not just victims of reality responding. We are creating the reality around us as we go. And that's that's what we're starting to understand now. Our our all shared experience of this waking thing we call life is is all of our input together creating as we go right? from moment to moment to moment. And uh, so that's, that's, that's where, that's where science is going. The new science is going to be consciousness. It's not going to be anything else. It's, 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 it's the most interesting thing there is, yeah, right? It's, that's the only thing that there really is. And so I've also like, I want to touch on a few things. I'm, I've been meditating for like the last five years, every morning and every night. And recently that's been kind of fluctuating. I've been feeling a lot of change in my life. And that's been, I, I haven't been as consistent with it because I've, I've felt like, things are really disrupted, you know, and I disrupted them by becoming aware of all the patterned things. And so the world's doing that on a grander scale. I mean, it's very obvious that as a species, we are all becoming aware of the patterns that we've been operating under as a grand species on earth and going, these patterns are destroying our planet. These patterns are cutting all the trees down. These patterns are ruining the ocean. These patterns are making us fat and sick. And none of it, most of us are going, we don't want this. You know, and all it takes is that thought on, on a grander scale of going, this isn't what we want. And then we start thinking about what we do want, which is health, happiness, peace of mind, loving family, beautiful lives. And the coherence wave that we're talking about, I was mentioning it earlier, earlier today, we were chatting and when you put two uh, subwoofers next to each other at the base frequency that comes out of them, when you move them close enough together amplifies when the waves join each other the amount of energy that they produce actually goes up and so this is what you're talking about where there's like an exponential increase in the amount of this awareness happening because it doesn't take very many all you need is if you were the only one in this apartment block that was thinking that way it would be a a soft signal but if suddenly the person across the hall feels the same way and then the person across the hall wherever there feels the same way We've seen this in culture over and over and over again across the world when cultures unite around a cause. And here it's on a grander scale where across the whole planet, people have these greater awarenesses. Global warming is a huge, you know, awareness like this boiling point occurring. Yeah. We're like, well, yeah, we need to do this. We got some fossil fuels is another thing. Um, just our, our feelings around war as a whole. I mean, the, the earth is just going, we don't actually want to act this way yeah. anymore. Yeah. Right. Yeah, like that. I love that. Um, this, you know, if you're the example of if you were if you were an intelligent species flying by Earth, and then your you know your ship picked up that there was technology and there was species, there was evolved species there, and they're like, okay, let's scan that that planet. Yeah, they do have a defense system. Oh, that's weird. All their defense systems pointing at each other. 
<laughs> like what, like if you just think about that for a second, like oh my god, it's so bad. Like yeah, well they literally have nuclear weapons pointed back at each other. Yeah, that is ridiculous, right? Like, yeah, this it's is, that, that paradigm needs to shift. That needs to change in a big yeah, way. Yeah, I think that's it. Is like I'm I'm a big believer in the fact that this technology that we're coming to our audience through today is the the driving force between what is happening on the consciousness level is. The internet has provided us real world feedback from around the planet, all over. It's not controlled by a larger source, you know, media, television, radio saying, here's what you get to hear about what's going on over there. Now it's just anybody with a phone can send out a signal about what's going on. And that, um, algorithm, uh, is occurring naturally because that's consciousness expressing itself. And yeah, it has all the chaos in it. And yeah, it has all the ego and the self stuff in it, but it also has all the, we are waking up pieces to yeah. it as yeah. well. And that, it, that wasn't occurring before, before the internet, when we relied on ham radio, CB radio, telegraph, telephones, all that kind of stuff. What mostly went out was very disparate and separate things. And we didn't have this global picture, not until the space programs only recently where you know, we have the picture of the pale blue dot yeah. that's given us this perspective. Overview effect, yeah. Yeah, and, and that change and, and you know, this whole effect of ali- um, aliens, astronauts coming back from their time in space and seeing their whole career and their life and the planet as a completely different yeah, thing. Yeah, it's a profound yeah. experience. I wouldn't recommend any of your listeners to watch that on YouTube. It's called the overview effect. It's like a 20-minute little video. It's, it's all these astronauts talking about how profound their experience was looking back at the earth and realize, you know, it's a massive paradigm shift for all of them. All of them super duper empirical scientists, no spirituality at all, all came back like monks pretty much. Like, you know, like with, like with way deep stuff to say about it. You're like, wow, that's a huge change in that person's consciousness. And so this is another example of the micro and the macro, right? Where we're looking at the species as a whole from an individual person's perspective by leaving and stepping far enough away to see change perspective to be able to see what that actually is and then we can do that inside of our own consciousness as well we're like oh all i have to do is like listen to my thoughts instead of just being my thoughts and being in a state of reaction it's a it's a smaller scale of the same thing excuse me and in the same in the same stride we change we can change our body with the same thing right where i'm like my body may be you know, acting in a way that I'm not wanting to or happy with like sickness or illness or, or whatever. And all we have to do is go inside of our body and start to see our body as a relationship to our heart and a relationship to our mind and a projection of those things. And I truly believe that what we manifest, our body manifests what we're ignoring yeah, and what we're putting attention to. It manifests yeah, exactly yes. Where you put your where you put your attention to is where you where your energy is, right? That's uh, something that Doctor Joe Dispenza talks about a lot too. It's 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 fascinating, right? It's just, you don't you don't really think about that all the time in your daily daily experience. And this is something tying back to what we talked about earlier. This is this is my agenda right now is learning to tie back all of these big profound things, you know because we've all pushed things to the extreme to have these profound experiences, and we kind of gotten used to needing those profound extreme experiences to give us this this data now i want to apply that data to my regular daily life 
right? And also to realizing every day you're making a difference, right? And also for all your listeners and people that are, you know, tuning in, that's, don't, don't believe that you can't make a difference. It all started somewhere, right? So one movement, whatever movement it was, it started with someone along the way, maybe not necessarily some public figure or anything like that, but the vibration starts somewhere, some fad, whatever, all these things that come and go, it all starts from someone doing something. And uh, we can do that. That's uh, the best. The best thing you can do is is keep applying the best version of yourself every day that you can. Keep trying yourself. For me, that's what I realized. I don't have to. I don't have to go and write some you know crazy book or or you know thesis or or you know invent something. I don't have to do any of that stuff. I just have to keep raising my vibration. That will help other people to do the same thing. You set the example by raising your own vibration, and that makes other people want to come up and join you. Or it repels them and, and they won't be a part of your circle. But I, but the point being is I think that's the best thing we can all do as a, as, as, a, as humanity is to really just keep focusing on raising our own vibrations to try to make a, a better future for ourselves and for our children and for all the future generations. I think, the, the, I think we're, at a, we're at a place where we're, there's just, we're running out of time. We can't keep going on like this. We, we need to make the decision as a people to come together and start to work together and to change the vibration and, and also the whole way that we interact as a society. We don't need to keep competing with each other. We don't, we don't need to fight over resources. We, we need to collaborate. We need to come together and harmonize and energize. And like then we do that, that's going to com- completely shift the whole way that we experience life as human beings. Yeah. You said harmonize there. And I want to touch on that word real quick, because as you say, raise your frequency, what I, as much as I understand that is, uh, an, a physical manifestation of like an enlightened being is like one that vibrates at a higher frequency, literally on the spectral range of sound and energy. Uh, this is also like tuning an instrument, right? It's like harmony. You're going to sing in harmony with a choir or a band or whatever. Once you get your, if you're singing, you have to train your voice right, once right? You so it. that you yeah. can tune it so that it doesn't go out of range and suddenly you're not in harmony with everybody else that you're performing with or singing with, harmonizing with, connecting with, vibrating with. So right? you have to practice you that have to practice with your consciousness. Exactly. Yeah. And this vibration thing, I mean, we all know what music feels like, right? Music feels amazing. And when music is a high vibration, when it is really uplifting and energetic and has this like rising feeling to it, it takes our souls and our hearts with it. And so I, music's been the saving grace in my entire life. Like from day one, music was the first drug for me, That's right? That, that just gave me something deeply, I, this is right. Like, this is good. This, this is like saving my soul, whatever. And there's been all kinds of versions of that from the beginning to today. And I'm, I just wanted to also for the audience, take that concept of like raising your frequency and just say also Tuning, tuning, tuning totally. Yeah, frequency, that's, that's a right? good point. Yeah, yeah for sure. Yeah, hundred yeah. percent. And then that allows that harmony of our environment. And and how do you do that? Same way you work out, right? exactly. You train yeah. it. You train it. Train. You got to train it. Yeah, yeah. So how do you do that? Right? Do you need to keep going into all these ex- existential crises, into all these extreme things to do that? No, you can literally sit in your living room every day and you can do it. Right? You can do it. You can do it when you're driving in your car. You can do it when you're visualizing something for how you want your day to be. There's a million different ways to meditate. By the way, guys, you can do walking meditations. You can do sitting meditations. You can do yoga. You can do it. There's a ton of different ways to access that part of your consciousness and to tune it and train it to be more developed and just more attuned to uh, the being aware of where you want your consciousness to be. 
what what I what I kind of see it as is like it just it's like when you're really good at a sport, you pick up on the little details in the game way before you did before, and you know what's going to happen three moves before. And that's the same thing with your consciousness. You start picking up on how you're going to react and what your normal reactions or patterns are. And you start being able to figure it out before it even happens. And so you're able to apply that and then and then not make that same that same mistake anymore. So you're, you're tuning your consciousness to be able to choose different neural pathways than you did before. And by doing that, you're changing your patterns and you're changing your habits. And then by doing that, you're raising your default setting. And so you just keep doing that and that. And I find myself when I'm when I'm making these old pattern mistakes that I find myself just wanting to go back to out of habit, it just doesn't feel good anymore. I just go and I do it anyway. And I'm like, and I go through the motion thinking it's going to do the same. And, it, and I already know before I do it that it's not what I want to do, but I do it anyway because I think, oh, this is familiar. And then I do it and I'm like, wow, that, okay, I'm done with that now. Uh, bye. You know, it's almost, and we've been talking about that. I think a lot of people are going through this kind of dark night of the soul right now where you're, you're dipping into these really old ways old patterns that, that didn't serve us these habits that were self-destructive that were negative and you're, I'm, I felt my nervous system was really fried the last month or so I was like digging down and back in through my subconscious and re- releasing all of these these old like nervous system pathways that I was these patterns that I had imprinted in my nervous system is what it felt like and I was just kind of letting all of that I felt fried I felt like my nervous system was fried frizzled at the end and and I was like kind of this release of garbage like energetic patterns and then I felt like a baby again I almost felt like I was like starting over again I had to learn like how to speak again how to walk again all these things that's just but in a different vibrational level than I was before and I if you were to listen to anyone that talks about what it means to ascend how to raise your vibration they all talk about some of these similar symptoms you often have to go back to the past and kind of regress a little bit before you can go forward and, and being thankful for it as well right like one of the main things that i've really been working on which i really we, which i think everyone should know or does know at this point is, is gratitude right gratitude is the ultimate state of receivership right it's it's when you are the most abundant where you're the most complete when you're grateful and it's i, I forced sometimes at first i like literally forced myself to be grateful every day i was like even if i can't think of anything to be grateful for i'm going to force myself at the end of the day to think of something that I can say in my mind I'm grateful for that right even if I was like Mr. Negative Nancy the whole day and just like couldn't think of anything great and like just I'm gonna do it anyway and I just made myself do that every morning every night I would do that wake up and think of something I was grateful for and I'd do that every day every day every day and eventually it would just uh, change I would all of a sudden there was I was just being grateful without thinking about it and for small stuff, you know, like some nice guy at the cashier, he was he was nice. He smiled. We had a good little interaction. Now, be grateful for that small. And I started building on that, building on that. And to the point where you're grateful, not only grateful for the good little things that happen, you start becoming grateful for the small little bad things too. Not the big bad things yet. That's harder. But first, it's the small bad things you should become grateful for. Like, oh, I'm grateful for that. I got, you know, whatever, the fender bender or uh, I missed the opportunity to jump and or whatever happened, I had to walk back down last week, like, well, last night we had to do that. All those things, they start adding up and you start being grateful for the negative things. Then all of a sudden that starts taking the power away from that, from that negative experience and being attached and identifying with negativity. So because you're grateful for it. And so, so then, then the negative and the positive becomes equal teacher. It becomes your friend. They're both your friends. They're both your friends all the way through. There's no enemies. And then when you get to that point, then you're just compl- then you're also elevating your vibration to another level. That's the cycles that we're going through. You know? And that's what I've been really working on, trying to make gratitude 
with everything, you know, with all of the things that have happened to me. And you can't just say it. Well, in the beginning, you can say it in your mind and you can try that way. But if, but for it to really take, it becomes experiential. It's when you feel it. You feel it with all of your cells in your body. You feel it as an experience, as a memory, as an identity, as a as a knowing. And then, then it's not just a concept anymore. And that's just, I practice the same thing. Flexing that consciousness muscle, that brain muscle, that heart muscle, bringing them all together and creating coherence. And then you're, you're, you're practicing flexing that to the point where you're, you're changing the way that you're, you're interacting with your environment and with yourself. And by doing that, you're changing your paradigm, you know, and, and, and giving that opportunity for the people around you. I don't want to leave anyone behind or feel like I'm losing friends over this, or I want everyone to be on board, man. I want us to all go together. You know, I love people. I love my friends. I love my family. I, I, I believe in humanity. I believe in humanity. All the news, all the media keeps trying to trick us to believe that everyone's bad and we're all here to kill each other and take advantage of each other. It's not true. Talk to anyone that's done any traveling. I've, I've got a good friend, Marco, who just rode his bike from New York, the motorcycle from New York City all the way down to the tip of Argentina and Patagonia and back in, you know, he said most most people were nice. Most people, people, are, are. people are nice. Most people try to help you out and he, pulled, he broke his BMW down a bunch of times and guys would just drive by in the middle of nowhere and come and help him, you know, and drive him miles out of their way to, to make sure he got somewhere safe. And- well, if we think about it, I mean, if we go back to the micro macro thing, uh, we're all just cells on a big body, right? We're not here to attack each other. Yeah. Right. So you think about the nuclear arms thing where we actually are weapons pointing at each other. That's like an autoimmune disease gone, yeah. gone haywire. Totally. Right. right? Where we're yeah. like, oh, we'll just kill ourselves. <laughs> you know, and we're like, oh, wait a second. We have autoimmune diseases because the uh, immune system is being triggered by too many things. And what we really realize is like, actually, you know, our bodies are really self healing, right? Like the body just heals itself. I don't do anything. If I get a wound or I, you know, hurt myself, I get a broken arm, I just put it to let it rest and it heals. You know, and the same thing if I'm on my motorcycle brakes and, you know, dude rolls up, can I give you a hand? You know, that's yeah. the exact same process of the body healing itself as the planet healing itself. You know, just saying, hey, part of you is broken. Can I help you? You know, it's one cell wandering up to another cell on that exact same scale. And yeah, don't believe the media. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, definitely that's not. Some, and I didn't even, and that's a, there's t- t- touch on fear. I want to hear you talk about fear because that's what you're talking about right now. The media is a breeding fear and you are somebody like myself who spent a lifetime becoming arm you know, arm mates with fear and yeah. becoming you know, make, somebody that you make, make it my friend actually yeah 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 i learned that through base jumping that you know in the beginning fear was just this overwhelming stream of information that i didn't know what to do with and that i just tried to make sure i didn't get paralyzed by right and then, then eventually I learned that, oh, this actually, this is a stream of information that has important data in it that it's actually, it's not trying to scare me. It's trying to keep me safe, but also trying to make me aware of my environment. It's just, it's making me hyper aware of my environment. So uh, learning to discern between my own, like my own fears, like just in, just inner fears and actually what the environment is telling me was the first step, right? It's like learning to tell the difference because there's cocktail of emotions in life all the time, things coming and going, people's energies coming and going. Different, different things kind of being battered and thrown all around you all the time. And so you you have this instinct to react, right, with fear all the time, right? So just react. And that's one thing I learned is not to do. Like, don't react to fear. Let it, it, it's, it's telling you something. Is it telling you to react? Not necessarily. That's, that's you, you get past the fight or flight responses and you start just listening to what, what it's, the information is, is. It, it usually has something valuable to tell you that, that, is, that, is, that is helpful and um, 
and it, and it doesn't need to perpetuate you into these uh, kind of old ways of being survival mechanisms that we that we're kind of coming from in our animalistic behaviors and the reptilian monkey mind kind of concepts, you know. So, um, I fear is like one of the most interesting things to me. Uh, I've I've come across because it triggers so much in us, right? And it triggers separation like we need to fight for resources like we need to survive we need to make sure we you know no one takes from us and we get what we need and it creates this feeling that we need to um compete against each other right we need to we need to make sure no one takes what we need i i i i think the best way to to understand how to um evolve yourself out of that behavior is is by continually understanding that you are not you are not a a mortal being when you start connecting to your spirit to your soul when you start having i've always had this feeling i don't know why now i couldn't i could have never put a put a my finger on it in the beginning but i knew that there was a part of me that couldn't die i just knew it i knew when i was a kid i knew when i was older and i felt like there's 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 something inside me that i know exists outside of this body and you know the first time it really hit me was i when i lost my first friend as one of my best friends, a motorcycle partner I used to race with, and he died in a motorcycle crash. And he he was in my early twenties, and he had an open casket before they cremated him. He was a Buddhist, and I saw his body. It was the first dead body I seen of someone I knew really well. And you know they strain everything and they put all formaldehyde whatever in there, and like you see this body, and you're like, that isn't that's not my friend. He's gone. Like that's the he's a puppet. Like, just, like this shell, this meat puppet of this guy. Yeah, it was so clear. It was such a power. I'm really glad actually that it was an open casket because I got I had I got this very powerful understanding that the soul was the person I knew, not the body. And it becomes super clear. So that that when you start identifying with that more and less with your meat puppets, the you're the more you get out of fear, right, and out of feeling like I need to get mine ahead of you, and I need to make sure you don't take from me. And, I, you know that you you're able to step outside of that parameter bigger and bigger and bigger. That's and the more I've gotten into my spiritual knowledge with that and and feeling of it like an experiential understanding of what my soul is, the more I've been able to not be in that response mechanism all the time. You know that we're getting fed with a lot, and so the, the that that's the only way I think to really kind of get out of it is to train your consciousness to identify with a higher version of yourself, which I believe is the soul. You know, and it doesn't mean that you disregard the ego you need the ego the ego protects your meat puppet it tells you where to go what to do how to do you need that still but 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 to also identify with this higher power that you have inside yourself beautiful man beautiful thank you i i really relate with um you know i lost a really good friend of mine a few weeks ago and yeah i'm sad you know and yeah i feel that loss but what the first feeling i had was gratitude the very first feeling I had was gratitude that I got to spend time with that soul in that body and share in such deep and meaningful ways and be exactly how you've been today, which is open, honest, vulnerable, authentic, just truthful, and just sharing without any fear. And, 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 you know, having those relationships, that's what, that's the life that I want to live is the one that, that resonates with those values in place. And the more that I've been doing that, the more that is what surrounds me. And I believe that is exactly what you've been trying to share with this idea of like, hey, just be a person and the being and feel it and energize it and and think it and breathe it and meditate on it and do all the things around it that that 
bring it into being and then it surrounds you as well because this is what I've also seen in my experience. And I didn't feel a sense of loss when my friend left because he's not gone. Yeah, totally. Right? Like the the experience that I got was net positive, right? Like I got all these positive experiences and I'm going to continue to retain those positive experiences that I had with that individual. I'm not going to have any more new ones. Maybe I might have some dreams. I might have some experiences where that person comes to me because I've had that happen in my life too. And so I, it's all just this net positive experience and I'm grateful. I don't feel, I don't feel that fear for a long time ago. I decided I'm like, I'm not really afraid of ever anything anymore. And I do have the like physiological fear responses, yes. right? Like when it's healthy to not fall off a building or whatever, right? Like I gotta be aware when I'm at physical danger, uh, perceived physical danger. Um, but I also don't fear death anymore because I also don't believe death is real, right? I don't believe death is real at all. I'm like everything that I've ever seen doesn't, doesn't agree with that. Doesn't add up. None of the religions add up, but none, everything, nothing says that it's final, right? It's all just trans transformation. It's the butterfly and the caterpillar, right? Like transforming from one to another to another type of energy type of being. So I'm right there with you. Yeah. I just watched some, some little clip of this guy who he's been struck by lightning like four times. He had like his, he, he, he was, he'd been dead for like 20 minutes, like twice or something, you know, and, and he's an older guy and he's just like, look, just so you guys know, I'll, I'll tell you, death isn't real. You don't die. Your spirit goes on, you know, and it's cool to hear from someone who's actually actually died and come back. I've, I've always been interested in those near death experiences that people have had, or they flatlined and been dead, and, and then had a memory of what happened. They've been some of them really interesting, right? Where they're like watching the doctor do stuff while they're dead, and then when they get revived, and later on talk to the doctor, tell the doctor exactly frame by frame what was what going was happening on, while they were gone. what was happening while they were dead, and the doctor's like. Stuff, you know, like that, that. Yeah, that's exactly what I was doing. How is that possible, right? There's a number of those experiences. Very interesting. Yeah. Jamie, I want to thank you, brother. I mean, just from the deepest bottoms of my heart, first of all, for our friendship. For, you know, you mean so much to me. The number of times where we've had um, just deep, powerful hugs. I love your hugs. I love your kisses. I love the fucking handshakes <laughs> that we have. I love the shares. I mean, we've been in ceremony sometimes together, whether the ceremony has been sitting here talking or whether the ceremony has been in an ayahuasca or at a burning van or on top of a building or in revealing our fears to each other that we're still working to come past, you know, and, and all of it just means so much to me, man. Me, me too. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Yeah, it's been a pleasure, man. Yeah, yeah. Like we covered a lot of bases there. Yeah, I knew yeah. this was going to happen. I'm like, all we got to do is open the valve and Jamie will go for it. Yeah. I was like, <laughs> I was like what are we going to talk about? He's like, everything. I was like, okay, let's go. <laughs> Sweet. So thank you. Thank you very much. I'm going to. Thank you too, Jay. I appreciate it. I yeah. love what you guys are doing with the show and I look forward to the next ones. Do you have a place where anybody can find you on Instagram or Facebook or things that you want to put out there if people don't want to get in touch with you? No, I mean, the only other thing I've done really is uh, I did a show on uh, Exit Point podcast uh, with those guys that are doing interviews with uh, base jumpers and I share my information with uh, what or I do urban jumping and um, and my experience with jumping and spirituality actually. So it's kind of in line with what we talked about but just really going into the in-depth look at how I've identified base jumping with the spiritual uh, aspect of it, you know, and how much is given to me, just like ayahuasca, just like uh, some of the other medicines we've tried. So that's, that's really the only thing I've really been barking at. And other sides from that, I'm, I just want to, I just want to uplift all of our, I want to uplift humanity, man. I want us to do it together. 
I want us to do it hand in hand, you know, and not, not fist in fist, you know, that's, I want us to be able to evolve the human beings together and to, for there to be a positive future, not this doom and gloom one that we're looking at right now. I'm right there with you. Yeah. If you would like a cost-free way to support the podcast, you can subscribe on YouTube. That'll go a long way. Follow on Spotify or Instagram or leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. If you'd like to have deeper conversation and get in touch with myself, Melanie, or any of the Trusted Journey family, all you got to do is donate on Patreon at any amount. And Jamie, I'm going to add you to the Trusted Journey family now that you've been a guest on the show. And you can reach out. And that's that's a wonderful community of people who are holding this safe, vulnerable space for each of us to be able to express whatever it is about our journey. And we have a regular monthly chat calls, integration calls. Uh, so all those are available if you want to get to Patreon. Trustthejourney.today is our website. Everything's on there. Thank you very, very much. And remember, keep laughing, keep loving, and keep trusting the journey. Thank you, Jamie. Thanks, man. Awesome. Love you. Love you, too.